If you take away the Soviet Union and its chief proxy, the PLO, international terrorism would collapse. If you take out Saddam, Saddam's regime, I guarantee you that it will have enormous positive reverberations on the region. Obviously, we'd like to see a regime change, at least I would, in Iran, just as I would like to see in Iraq. The question now is a practical question. What is the best place to proceed? It's not a question of whether Iraq's regime should be taken out, but when should it be taken out? It's not a question of whether you'd like to see a regime change in Iran, but how do we... Are there any other nations that you would recommend that the United States launch preemptive attacks upon at this point? Uh, the answer is categorically yes. Uh, the, uh, the two nations that are vying, competing with each other, who will be the first to achieve nuclear weapons, uh, is Iraq and Iran. But uh, a third nation, by the way, is Libya as well. Libya is uh, trying very rapidly to build... Uh, an atomic bomb capability. So you have here now three nations. All stand together to stop Iran's march of conquest, subjugation, and terror. I know that no matter on which side of the aisle you sit, you stand with Israel. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Monday, December 18th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. Unfortunately, wasn't able to get to a show yesterday, so we're playing catch-up on the last couple of days. But today, I think I wanted to start in a different place. I wanted to come at this from an angle of how in a lot of different things that you'll find relevant in the starting point today, but how hypocritical it is. The arguments that are being made about humanitarian issues or the reality of, or as they would claim it, the reality of how combatants in the process of allows you to fire on civilians or fire on protected locations. All, none of that's true. In fact, the Hamas human shield dynamic we've gone over extensively on this show. You can listen to just about any human rights lawyer, international law, lawyer, the United Nations, any of these groups that have been speaking about these things are going to have made it very clear. The reason collective punishment is a reality. That's the simplest one to look at is because of things just like this. Otherwise, why don't we just shoot the hostage and the bank robber at the same time? Very simplistic analogy. The point is though, that these things have been used. The, I guess the frustration from some people's perspective, thinking that the lens that they're giving you to look through is as simple as the way they frame it, that they should just go after and take out the bad guys, of course, ignores the entire dynamic of the history and what these people have gone through. And of course, what a lot of these things actually are in reality, as opposed to what Israel says they are. And we're going to overlap this with the United uh, United States government and their engagements around the world right now. Not going back, we can, most people are very aware of the incredibly criminal record of the U.S. government and their foreign policy. For some reason, we all just kind of let things continue forward. But 
today and where we're at currently. The Sudan being one of the most obviously insulting overlaps to what they pretend they care about and calling out things in a much smaller degree that are happening there versus what's happening in Gaza right now. But to start there and make a good point about what they really care about. Now, we're going to go over the interests of the U.S. government around the world in regard to their wars. We're going to start with a quick point on a couple of important follow-ups, one in regard to the turbo cancer discussion following the COVID-19 injections. But then after that, we're going to get into the more follow-ups in regard to Gaza. Important discussions, though. Very little redundancy today. We're going to go over the Gaza settlements that appear to be planned, as we've been talking about for a long time. I'm actually going to show you an article, a show that we did back in 2020 that discusses Netanyahu's coming full-scale war on Gaza, which is not that much of a prescient point. I mean, a lot of people saw that coming pointed at what you, I mean, you could have just guessed that might've happened, whether or not it ultimately did. That's, I think a lot of the Infowars was always, they had it right. They said a lot of things that don't end up happening. But the point is that this is something that was very clear, his plans, what he wanted to do, what the Israeli larger government wanted to do as well. We're going to get into the conversation of the coming settlements, as I'm going to call it, the the obvious illegal settlements that are already being prepared, that I think have already been planned, that are going to be put in the very area that they're calling, but they're claiming they're going to let people come back to Gaza itself, that is currently being ethnically cleansed, over 20,000 different civilian casualties, over 10,000 children have been killed now. 70% of, the, of all of the total are women and children. These are come. This is no longer just from the Gaza Health Ministry, even though that has also been shown to be correct. The, a Lancet peer-reviewed study has come out showing historically today, and even overlapping with is, Israel's pointing out, their numbers are accurate. And going back, they typically have been as well. But this is now being backed up by other sources of information: Euro EuroHealth uh, Med Monitor, the United Nations. Of course, all they're all Hamas, according to Israel. Now, if you say anything against their agenda, they're just Hamas now. And that's how simple that is, even though there's definitely a place to a conversation to be had about whether there's influence, not just clumsily saying, well, they are Hamas or showing a meme that of some Scooby-Doo a meme showing them pulling off the hood. No, look, the U.N. is now Hamas. Look at how easy that is to dismiss all the things that they're saying. And some other important conversations going into the ceasefire that I want to dive further deep at the deeper. I want to dive deeper on the United Nations discussion and the vote around the ceasefire and the veto from the United States. And right there, I want to show you an interesting point about what they were actually vetoing, one of which was the complete and entire exchange of all hostages that the U.S. said, nope, veto. And of course, Israel wanted that as well, which just continues to show you. So they seem to care the least about the, sea, the their own people in Gaza, which is just strikingly obvious. And it seems most of Israel knows that the West hasn't seemed to wrap their mind around that yet. But we're also going to talk about the the secondary vote, which was initiated, which now has passed, which has demanded a ceasefire, even though the U.S. and Israel voted no. And nothing has stopped, which it's not a binding. There's not legal mechanisms behind it. But at the same time, Israel's constantly to this very day calling on the U.N. to do things that it wants to do, even though it's currently ignoring the most recent resolution. It's just it's, it's ridiculous how this continues to go. And we'll finish with some important points around just what's going on in Gaza. Some really horrifying stories being being reported. This one is, in fact, again, by Euromed Health Monitor, and this is in regard to Palestinians at one of these hospitals literally being buried alive. Now, there is some information going out right now, apparently, about a bulldozer that is being shown to be a video from Egypt. 
And I think there's a reason that that was put out at the same time because this involves similar information. But this is coming from a human rights group that is talking to doctors who have literally seen this happen, or at least that's what they're saying. So it's interesting at the same time, which by the way, this involves bulldozers, it comes out where this old video gets circulated. There is a very reactive level of propaganda happening right now. And I was talking about that in the last show where when things are, as I've said before, typically propaganda is setting a narrative. Now, there's different dynamics to it, obviously, but right now what I see Israel doing, they're on their heels. I mean, they're losing control of this. The information war is all but lost. I think their reputation is never going to come back from this. But what I was going to say later in the show, but I'll say now since it fits, I think that the United States government and some of the rest of the uh, international players, and along with other factions of the Israeli government, have already made plans for how they're going to move past this. I don't even mean in regard to Gaza. I mean, in my my mindset, it's the way I see in this play out is in this just the political dynamic of these two countries is letting Netanyahu finish whatever he's going to finish. That's obvious. They do not care about the genocide taking place. Then they'll probably throw him under the bus and act like that was the problem and just usher back in the same old status quo, which would include the problem for Gaza. But that's what I see building right now is the allowance of this to get to move him out of the way and act like everything else is the is. Going, that he was the only problem in the situation, which is always how they try to play it. But we're going to go through a lot more information. And just to wrap the opening up here in, that I think is really important in regard to understanding this dynamic and how they're using this information, the reactive propaganda they're continuing to put out, like that bulldozer, like many other things where the information gets shown in an embarrassing way and they come out the next day with a story that seems somewhat not connected, but it perfectly contradicts what was proved the day before with just narrative or a still image or something like that. It's damn near constant. Now, let's start with some COVID-19 information that I think is really important. This has to do with what I see coming into Christmas. Orwell shared a really alarming clip with me that I wanted to start with. Just a very short propaganda clip that was shared by, um, here's here's the actual post, and this was shared by Aaron... Uh, uh, T, I always forget how to say his last name, who we've shown in the past during, during COVID-19, as he says, this might be the weirdest and creepiest bit of propaganda I have seen since 2020. Now, this is really unnerving, like almost to the point to where it feels like it's a horror. Mo- you know, you see those horror movies these days where it's like a, a happy song with a sad tint to it, like a Bob Marley song with like a really dark sound. Super creepy when they do that. Same with like a child song that it's like it's scary. That's how this feels to me. It's like this Christmas tone, but you'll see what I mean. It's like Santa dying and like, it's just the, cra- it's a, it's so gross to me that they think this is, well, from the average normie position, somebody's going to look at this and go, they misunderstood. Like, why don't they think, why would they think this is appropriate for kids? But that's, they don't, that's not where they're coming from with this. They're trying to scare you. They're trying to put people in a position of uncomfortable uncertainty, in my opinion, or maybe you're right. And they're just tone deaf when it comes to what's supposed to be said to children either way these people are the government the the people involved with making these psas or whoever's behind this this should not this is i don't even know what the right word for it is you tell me what you think this is just disgusting to me it was the night before christmas santa took a deep breath if only he'd known it would lead to his death Santa always listened when the famous doctors spoke. Too bad they didn't mention that the virus spreads like smoke. And that's it. 
That's the story. <laughs> I mean, my God. Don't ruin, don't ruin Christmas. Oh, yeah, respirators, because don't forget we just showed the newest science shows that those aren't effective either, which you already knew if you watched this show in 2020. Latest vaccines that are still hurting people and killing people and don't have any effect on what's currently happening. Regular testing. I mean, my God, we're still here in these people's minds. They're in 2020 land right now with this discussion. Do you realize that literally everything they showed there has been shown to not be what they said it was? <laughs> I mean, this is just brain-dead nonsense or complete aggressive propaganda to keep you in this mindset. But think about this. I mean, guys, that is 20 seconds, that story. Santa dies. Everyone's sad. Oh, too bad. Moral of the story, do what you're told. Like, it doesn't even really register. Like, this is, what this is, is scary, scary, like, dark Santa dead because he didn't do, wear a mask and get a vaccine. Okay, kids, Merry Christmas. I mean, when has that ever been something? I mean, anyway, this is just, it just kind of sets the tone for where these people's minds are at. Like, people are so aware of how gross and manipulative they are that they're just going over the top, it seems. You know, you read into it for yourself, but think about starting the story out with, you know, Santa Claus and, oh, but he's dead. Four, is it what, 10 seconds into the story. This is the kind of stuff they're telling. This is aimed at your children, guys. Now, I'm going to give you another clip to start. Reed Cooley shared this today. In 1997, Bayer confirmed that one of their anti-hemophiliac drugs, and we've talked about this, we've referenced this many times over the years. One of their anti-hemophiliac drugs was contaminated with HIV. What a coincidence. And that it had been killing not only hemophiliac patients, but their families as well. Instead of taking it off the market, guess what Bayer did? You know, the Bayer that was supposed to take away the bad view of Monsanto as they merged, right? Well, it began distributing it in Europe, Asia, and Latin America. Now, mind you, this is after they were aware that it was spreading HIV. That's, this is a provable fact. I'll let, you, I'll let you look at what Morning Cup Joe, back when he at least, I guess, tried to look like he cared about facts, talking in this clip. Scarsborough. And they knew this, and, and nobody goes to jail. Not, I mean, no, no real accountability. And this is what we're dealing with still to this day. Companies that can do, look at, look at East Palestine. We just talked about it. Not only are they now removing the funding they were going to help these people with, they're forcing them to move back to a place where people are still getting sick. They didn't really help in any way other than destroying their town and giving money to the government. They Breaking down what they gave in East Palestine breaks down to about $4,000 a person. The rest of that money went to the government. See, they act like we're all high-fiving and helping each other. Nope, they're changing money, changing hands, so they can get away with it. So now, he's pal- so now Alan Shaw and Norfolk Southern basically profit from what they did to that town. That's how this works. Same thing with what just happened with COVID. Same thing that happened with Bayer with this drug. Same thing that happens with Teflon and DuPont and every other story where this government is keeping you safe, guys. Joe, we appreciate you being on tonight. Thanks for the invitation, Joe. Okay, let's talk about the rat of the week. Why is Bear Corporation the rat of the week? Internal documents show that after this company positively, absolutely knew that they had a medication that was infected with the AIDS virus, they took the product off the market in the U.S. and then they dumped it in France, Europe, Asia, and Latin America. The medicine... Which is not a news story. They do it all the time. They're still, they're doing it right now. 
There's drugs they've pulled off the market elsewhere that they just dump in other third world countries or whatever the appropriate term is today. Countries we mark as that because we steal resources from them. Our government does and we keep them that way forever and blame it on them. Whatever you want to call that. It's called Factorate. It was an, inject, an injection medicine that was used for hemophiliacs, mostly children. Children had been born with an injection. disease. Hold on, hold on, Mike. So, hold on, hold on. So you're yeah. telling me that Bear knew that this drug was infected with the AIDS virus. They yanked it from the market in America, and then they dumped it in markets overseas. Don't you hate when people do that? Can I just repeat back to you exactly what you said in a little bit of different tone? Is that what you said? Yeah, Joe, I effing just said that exactly. Thanks for repeating it back to me. Can I continue? <laughs> it's, just, it's just, a, it's a tactic for somebody who's not paying attention typically or someone that's just embarrassing, but that's Joe for you. We know him by now. They had to figure out a way, Joe, to make a profit on a product that they could not sell in America. So they made a huge profit. They jumped, they dropped the product in Japan, Spain, and France. By the way, Joe, government officials in France that yep. allowed that to happen actually had to go to prison for it. Yep. In America, not one Nothing. corporate executive for this company has been indicted or even criminally investigated. Think about that. So just to make this the reality that they, they so France, not they're not involved other than have it happen other than individual politicians who essentially allowed it to happen. They then get held accountable by the the remainder of you know whatever the government or people or organizations that hold them to account in France. They go to jail. Meanwhile, the company and the government and the people involved on this side that knew about it not and only for you in America. But that then made sure to sell it for their own profits overseas. And understand, there are government individuals at this time that are on the boards of Bayer that have stock in this company. It's the same thing going on right now with Pfizer. It's all, it's all happening. And so it just shows you the kind of immunity and accountability that these entities have. Nothing happened. And we and this is on MSNBC. They're admitting this, they're discussing it publicly. Nothing even happened, Joe. And then nothing continues to happen. It's just like I wish Americans could wrap their minds. Like, not I, everyone here, I would argue, has some understanding of what we're talking about. But the average people who don't get who see us as conspiracy theorists, how do they not recognize what that shows them? You know, it's usually because they take the given answer. Oh, no, it was just Netanyahu. He was the bad one. We got him out of the way. Let's get back moving into our corrupt situation. It's the same thing here. Instead of just going, damn, that's obvious. And then going, look, look at this story. Look at that story. Look at how every other story seems to end in the same way. Instead of just taking what they tell you you're supposed to see from it, just acknowledge that your government doesn't care about you. They are allowing this to happen. Look at all the chemicals you're drenched in. Look at all the things. Look at the children's toys that they sell with all of the dangerous chemicals that you can prove they not only know are dangerous, but have in fact often lobbied to make sure they can remain. They sure care about you. By our Justice Department. Why not? What, you're telling me that these people that dumped this AIDS-tainted blood in foreign countries yes. who killed children... Have not been have not been taken to task in the it's, United States. It's, it's worse than that. The U.S. government allowed it to happen. The FDA allowed this to happen, and now the government is completely looking the other way. Thousands of innocent hemophiliacs have died from the AIDS virus, and not only they're dying, their family members are dying because they're becoming infected with the disease. My God, you know. And then, of course, at the time, those numbers go down as just you know more more HIV. Right, must be that homosexual population. You know, it's just whatever narrative, whatever you're supposed to be told about what's supposed to be going on, right? 
thank you, Reed Cooley, for he's he works with Truth Media and Sovereign Sovereign uh, the, uh, the the streaming platform or soon to be anyway video platform. But on that note, of course, since we mentioned Tainted Blood, we of course we can't miss an opportunity to call out Red Cross again, who, by the way, still to this very day, does not acknowledge that there are provable peer-reviewed scientific studies that contradict exactly what their standing mantra currently is, which is, right, don't forget the point, right? Bayer and the government allowed tainted blood that killed children. Nothing happened. Well, welcome to the same story today. We don't label blood products as containing vaccinated or unvaccinated blood as COVID-19 vaccine does not. They repeat, do not enter the blood bloodstream. Excuse me. Yeah, but it does, though. Here's one of them. SARS-CoV-2 spike mRNA vaccine sequences circulate in the blood in 28 days. So you'd think if this was an honest group, and I posted the link to the peer-reviewed study from NIH National Library of Medicine from January 17th, 2023, that verbatim contradicts what they just wrote right there you'd think they'd go wow ryan thank you for letting us see something we weren't aware of but no we don't live in an honest world and they ignored it this was 2022 september more than a year ago well i followed up and i said hey guys are you still not missing you here's another one from september 2023 that says the same thing that you will find that these mrna vaccines routinely persist for 30 days from vaccination it can be detected in the heart Okay, well, then you go, well, they must have responded then, right? They must care. Nope, not a single response, nothing. And guess what? You'll find this as their standing mantra still right now in 2023, December on their website. How does that make sense? Because we are in a dangerous situation. Now, you don't have to see this as American Cross, as an entity is all involved. Could mean that. All it really has to mean is that there's somebody in control from the top down that makes sure the average person doesn't come into contact with this stuff. And when people do, they're either aware of they'll lose their job and their entire work and everything they've done, their ability to feed their kids if they say something, so they don't. Or they raise up and say something and they get cast aside, treated like conspiracy theorists. You never hired again. People pick up on this stuff. We We all saw what happened to people that spoke up. I just want to make sure we realize the same thing is still happening. You know how many children I can prove have died after these blood transfusions? I have three stories that I've seen personally where children that were, they were trying to get, they they have a, a family member who is unvaccinated and willing to donate blood with the same blood type and they refuse. They, in fact, in one case, through a court order, forced them to take the, the blood that is in the blood bank. In history, it's always been the best case scenario to have a family member. But of course, post-COVID, with a bunch of jaded, angry nurses who are the only ones left because they're either too stupid to know they're wrong or don't care, are willing to be vindictive and say, you have to take this because we think you're a conspiracy theorist, and they die. It's happened many times. It's very sad. Now, on cancer side of it, Dr. Peter McCullough points out another important study in regard to the turbo cancers. And I'll just read it directly from the study itself. It says, this calls for caution when advising all people with cancer or previous history of cancer to receive the COVID vaccine series or additional boosters. Considerable uncertainty remains regarding the vaccine efficacy, safety, and the risk of interactions with other anti-cancer therapies. Those are just regular general stuff. But after reviewing the available literature, we are partic- excuse me, particularly concerned that certain COVID-19 vaccines, mRNA, may generate a pro- Tumor, tumorogenic 
um, I think it's Malay, and a specific environment that could lead to neoplastic transformations that predisposes some oncologic patients, stable ones that aren't perceived to be a risk and survivors to cancer progression, recurrence, and or metastasis. Basically, not only does it create the situation that will that could that drives cancer, but people that are stable who had previous who are in remission, it blows it back up like extreme. This is what we've heard from all these oncologists. That they, that they have cancer patients in remission within a month or they have, they've gone from, I mean, I don't know the exact terms. I'm not, a, I'm not an oncologist, but I forget what they would say. Like, you know, from like one to four, all of a sudden, like an unprecedented jump in, in the stages. We've heard this from many people, not just that jump in an extreme time frame, but in general, more cancer patients at certain levels at high levels they've ever seen their entire practice all over the country, but we're baffled guys. We're just, we're so baffled. This hypothesis is based on the biological plausibility and fulfillment of the multi-hit hypothesis of oncogenesis, together with growing evidence and safety reports filed to the Bayer's report suggesting that some cancer patients experience disease, exacerbation, or recurrence following the COVID injections. Just more and more and more evidence backing this up, as he says, explains the clinical observation of turbo cancer and COVID-19 victims. Yet again, another fake news story backed up by the peer-reviewed science. Now, two op- other opening points I want to include in regard to one is a technological point. One's kind of like some observational things in the world. Infowars, of course, had Mike Adams on to discuss the potential threat of artificial intelligence, but of course, offering solutions on how to harness that power for good. Now, you can listen to it if you'd like. I'm not a huge fan, as I'm sure you're aware. But I said, just make sure that it's the Elon approved good guy billionaire technocrat AI, right? That's the exact same thing, though. And only difference was Alex will tell you you're a patriot for using the one Elon sold. And of course it will require a digital ID to access the good guy AI, but you know, freedom, two-party illusion. We'll make it happen. Obviously you don't, I mean, I think the problem I have with a lot of this stuff is that I don't take it. I don't believe it. And I don't believe that the ultimate push here, this comes from a very right-wing perspective. And I don't look, I'm not, I'm of the mind that in any of these things, I'm always open to the possibility that there can be a use like a cryptocurrency kind of thing that could fight back. But I think that an artificial intelligence level of this is a whole nother, it's a different animal, guys. We're talking about something, especially it depends on what we really mean when we're talking about this, whether we're talking about algorithms or sentient, you know, AI kind of artificial intelligence. That's like the, I forget the name of the test, but ultimately something that is meant to be like the singularity concept. Well, those are very different things. But just talking about artificial intelligence in general, chat GPT and all these machine learning. I don't know why we think that that's going to benefit people in the concept of how it's being used today, whether Elon or anybody else. It's obvious the way that it's being used right now. The model hasn't changed just because we have an Elon who's saying free speech while totally not offering that. But these people will tell you that he is. I don't know why we lean into that same kind of dynamic when it is still surveilling, when it is still using your data to benefit their own. I mean, this is the same thing, guys. Now, I I hope that I am wrong, but I get very concerned about the idea of acting like we can use this for good when it's simply the same ultimate product and not some different version. Now, if we do see something that is like a you know, Elon's version of this versus theirs and you can see these kind of I mean, Make your own decisions. Just question everything, guys. And please try to see beyond the two-party paradigm, which completely always circumvents people's logic. It's what it is designed to do. If we could just start looking at this stuff from a nonpartisan lens, I'm telling you, we would change everything.
but it's the people that are invested in that that keep us mired in this mud pit of the two-party illusion. Now, lastly, same kind of point. I saw this yesterday. Oh, actually, no, it was this one. This was on the 15th. And I just, my brother actually shared this with me. It's very weird, actually. It's a Arizona Governor Katie Hobbs, a Democrat, announces an, an ex-executive order in Arizona that is deploying the National Guard to the border. The border. Saying the federal government is refusing to do its job to secure the border. Now, obviously, security in a general sense is not a bipartisan con- or a, not a partisan concept. But the border is so wildly politicized, and we know this. So it's very, it is strange to see a Democrat acting like another Democrat is not securing the border, which does, again, let's just hypothetically, I don't believe this, but let's just say this is an honest person who just genuinely wants you know, security. Not border walls and technocracy and surveillance, and all that, but just making sure there's no you know, terrorists coming through, whatever. I don't believe that, but the point is that nonetheless still gets perceived from both sides of the extreme paradigm as her leaning in the right way in this case, or in the sense making Biden look bad, which makes the, you see what I'm saying? Like this is impossible not to see through that lens of the border wedge issue. So I just found it interesting. Could be nothing, but it says she adds that Biden's admin hasn't responded to a reimbursement request. I just found that interesting. So I just want to point out as I often do, and you guys know, I do false flag watch, which doesn't mean anything other than keep an eye on this. Maybe this develops into something that might be, I don't know, all of a sudden there's a border situation going on. This might be relevant. That's all that really means. Put it aside, keep it on a tab somewhere. Because I'm very worried about how this whole, whether Hamas or whatever else they turn it into, will materialize. I mean, even Trump at a very weird early time pushed out the idea that Hamas would come through the southern border. And then numerous other politicians kind of followed up briefly, and that kind of went away for a minute. But it was very, very odd. With 30,000 Hamas members only in Gaza, a, their leadership allowed to be in Qatar because the Israeli allows them to be there and funds them, which we should know by now. And we're acting like this is some kind of worldwide threat while the people they are funding in Ukraine are literally telling you that's what they're going to do, which is march other places and spread the white race around the world. It's embarrassing that we take these things at face value. Anyway, the point is, I think the border is going to become an interesting point in that regard that will ultimately open up the, the worry that the U.S., into, the, the American population is somehow now at threat from the same thing that's happening all the way over there, and I predict that it will be fake. Just my thoughts. Or I shouldn't say predict, but one of my hypotheses is that that is how that will work out. I'm not really making a prediction because it can go so many different ways, but really just consider the different possibilities. Now, this was another part of it. Congress has approved legislation preventing any president from withdrawing the U.S., the United States from NATO without approval from the Senate or an act of Congress, which really is how this always should be. Like, it's so strange that we're in a place where it's war or anything else where the president or even just the current administration acts like it can unilaterally do everything. It's always supposed to be this checks and balance game, but we haven't had that in reality for a really long time. How long have I been talking about rule by executive order? Which, by the way, an executive order is only supposed to apply to the executive branch, but they act like these are mandates for the world. That's how this operates. So at the very least, for everybody in this country, when really it only applies to the... The point is, this is authoritarianism. It is it is a single person making decisions that for everybody, or really like a, a, a dictatorship. But now they're approving legislation to prevent any president from individually taking out a NATO. Now, why I think that's interesting is where's that coming from? 
is Biden acting like he's going to pull out of NATO? That seems like a really, I don't, I do, that doesn't make any sense to me. Why any president, unless they foresee like Trump possibly, even then, I don't see Trump pulling out of NATO. He's very pro-war as much as his party doesn't, they pretend that's not the case. So I feel like this is an interesting, I, I don't know exactly, but it's indicative of something different. And I said with the recent border development deployment stemming from a Democrat, and now this, some weird discussion about not allowing an individual to pull out of NATO, there's definitely something going on behind the scenes right now. That's what this makes me feel, that we are not really being informed of, which by the way, more than that usual, that is the everything else that we don't ever get told about. What Israel is doing has unraveled everything, in my opinion. I really believe that. Now, that does not mean that it's, that it, it currently is being taken advantage of in a thousand different ways. I still maintain the point that I don't think this started as, by some engineered plan other than might've what might've been a coordination about like allowing Hamas to do what they did or being involved with that all the way. Lie hop, my hop kind of conversation, right? We've talked about this, but nonetheless, it was for an individual. I don't think that was connected to the larger agendas we're discussing, but I, of course could be wrong. So on that note, Let's start with the the United States war machine, the U.S., the United States of war, as I framed it on the title today. Nothing new, really. I mean, the U.S. war machine is a pretty common discussion for most everybody else in the world, and more so today for average Americans, because we're all becoming aware of what's really going on. But I'd like to go over a couple things. And this is meant to tie in with the larger discussion we're going to finish with, but the point about the current engagement of the U.S. foreign policy. Now, we're not just focusing on Gaza right now. We're not even just focusing on Syria or Iraq or Afghanistan. Yeah, we're still dealing with that or the Sudan or Venezuela. All these things are simultaneously happening. And it is a hell of a lot more than I'm even going to get into today. I just want average people to recognize that there is a lot of war with your tax dollars being waged for reasons that have nothing to do with freedom, that have nothing to do with your interests, or quite frankly, even with national security. It's about something far bigger, darker, more nefarious. Now, of course, that's my opinion, and you could disagree with that. But what I wrote, the main point is to recognize that your government is engaged with all sorts of different war footings that contradict almost everything it's currently saying to rationalize why it's not stopping what's happening over here. So first of all, just to show you that there's, it, 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 there is an interesting kind of bubbling up of a lot of these different fields all at once. Now, this one is just a small point because, well, two points technically. One, that it's interesting the timing of this. North Korea, which seems to happen reasonably frequently these days, launches a ballistic missile. Japan complains. This is after the U.S. and South Korea bolstered nuclear deterrence plans. This was the 17th. It was yesterday. Japan's government has called a meeting of its National Security Council in response to the launches. Now, what's interesting to me, one of the from from a totally benign, like not invested in one nation's success or the other, or even through the lens of North Korea is a despotic regime and bad guy versus good guy. Just just say so you just step on the scene, you don't know any of these things, and you just look at nation states and peoples and countries, and you recognize well, interesting how North Korea at one point was seemed the biggest threat to our democracy, right? And they just couldn't stop screaming, "We can't let them get these missiles." Right, same thing with Iran, right? We can't let Iran get the nuclear, even though Iran, as far as I can tell, and as far as I think I've proven, and even according to the U.S. government today, if you haven't seen that, and definitely because of the IAEA, they have on the record now said that they are not seeking a nuclear weapon. 
Now that's flip-flop. There's other people in the U.S. government that came out and said something different, but the State Department said they are not. And so too did the International Atomic Energy Agency because they haven't been, guys. It's very clear and easy to prove they haven't been. But the point is that that's a huge focus. Ron, bad guy, right? But the moment, guys, the moment that North Korea actually gained the ability to do this, the conversation vanished. Now, in no way does that mean this entity is not dangerous. I think all of these governments are dangerous. Quite frankly, we should consider whether this is really just a CIA outpost. It's a genuine question. I'm not sure if I believe that, but it's something we should ask. But even if it's not, the point is, all it really proves to you and every other country paying attention, again, from a benign, not you know, just an overview perspective, it proves that if you, that once you have this ability, then they see that you can be a threat and suddenly they stop poking you in the eye. Isn't that interesting? Now, obviously, that doesn't mean they're not they're going to stop trying to manipulate your country, but it's very different. And it's and the whole point was we had to stop, we had to stop. And the moment they got the ability, everything pulled away and now we're focused elsewhere. Doesn't that so show it's just interesting? And, uh, and quite frankly, every country has the legal right to all of these things, just like anybody else does. That's just the reality. Now, of course, from a very U.S. perspective, a lot of Americans are going to say, no way, they're maniacs. You know, maybe you're right. But who allowed the U.S. government or Israel or Britain or any of them to unilaterally decide who, who, who is and who is not the ones who are allowed to do this or that or allowed to be seen as the good guy or seen as a terrorist? Or I mean, who decided all this? And so as we step back and you start to realize all of the lies that have been told about North Korea, like embarrassing lies, like the haircut or all these different things that they, why do they need to lie about it? If this is, a, and see, you start to step back further to realize, well, there's definitely something more political going on here. Now, that point alone, just to show you that this was recent, they're firing missiles. Japan is unhappy about it. Here's what they said. North Korea's latest missile launches are violations of the UN Security Council, which of course, Okay. So that matters when they do it, right? But we are currently watching violations all over the place. U.S. violates the U.N. I mean, every 30 seconds, something around the world. The Israel doesn't care at all. They're literally calling them Hamas. But then 30 seconds later going, act on this for us because you're not Hamas if you do what we say. The point is, it's just embarrassing to watch these entities call on the U.N. when they disregard it, when they feel like it. But it says it's a threat to peace and stability, which why is that? Why is the launching of their missile to test a missile, not 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 firing on somebody? And yes, in many cases, the missile law, I'm just trying to be, you know, outside of this. I get why people see this as a threat, but I'm saying you launch a missile and nothing happened. You're testing missiles. The U.S. does it all the time. In fact, the U.S. government kills people all the time. The U.S. literally launches, launches missiles all the time. Israel's doing it every right now. Literally, as we speak, they're launching missiles into God. 150 children a day. 150 children a day. One of them just died right now in Gaza. Right now. It's a fact. And yet we're worried about them launching a missile. Why? Because they're not allowed to launch missiles. That's a violation of international law. I mean, why? that's such an insult, isn't it? Not to say that they're wrong, but that's what we care about. The launchers are, quote, not only a clear violation of UN Security Council resolutions, but also a threat to peace and stability. Well, they're only a violation because they passed a UN Security Council resolution that says they're not allowed to do X, Y, and Z. It's just how they're being used against them. Now, they're calling on people to do something about it. I doubt anything will happen. Why? Well, because they have the ability to actually launch something that could effectively hit the United States. As we're told, anyway. See how that works? And again, I'm not saying that in a pro or con way. I'm just simply pointing out the static reality. Now, talking about another location. Now, that one, see, that's a small part of it. 
because it's not really engaged with other than the kind of standoff demilitarized zone kind of situation. But let's go into places where the U.S. government is actively involved. You might not realize that that's still Afghanistan. Now, Pakistan is seeking U.S. help against Pakistani Taliban in Afghanistan. So now you've got Pakistan crying foul about something that's happening in Afghanistan. And who knows? They're probably right. The point is the Taliban is a group the U.S. government has worked with as far back as you can look. They use them as the excuse to invade Afghanistan early on in the discussion around 9-11. They never really stopped working with them. They've allowed, like, the, the point, they, the opium side of this is a huge discussion. I actually grabbed that, actually. Let's see if it pops up. There it is. Called Operation Enduring Freedom. I think I cite Abby Martin in some of this with her work in the past. The Operation Enduring Freedom, the United States Opium Trade, wrote that in 2016. It's an article back when I was still writing them. Oh, I guess maybe I did a show on it with it too, but guess what? That's gone. The point is that you can prove that when they invaded Afghanistan, the opium production, which the Taliban had near eradicated, exploded 90%. And guess what else exploded? The opium crisis, or excuse me, the opioid crisis. What a surprise. Totally unrelated, we're told. Anyway. I mean, these things are so childishly stupid, and I think we all know what's going on here. Because you know why? When they left, it magically went down again. <laughs> what a coincidence. Totally unrelated, we're told. That's how stupid this is. But so back to this, the point is, just so we're clear, by the way, they still have all sorts. They do have troops on the ground, and we do have mercenary elements there. We already talked about this, the Ac Ac Academy, Academy, whatever, Blackwater overlap kind of stuff. That is clear. But this, to me, aside from what's currently happening there, especially, especially the uh, contractors and intelligence entities that, we're not, that we don't know about, Pakistan is now claiming that there are bad guys again. Our point is they never left. It's still the Taliban. Saying Washington is uh, calling on Washington, saying this week they're seeking U.S. assistance. Pakistan calling on the U.S. government to stop terrorists in Afghanistan. What do you know? It's all starting back up again. I guess they had enough time away from it so it can just reinitiate the same, and they're even still using the Taliban. In seeking U.S. sympathy and support for Pakistan's counterterrorism concerns, he may note many years of U.S.-Pakistan military cooperation that includes some counterterrorism collaborations. It's saying he met with Lloyd Austin, Defense Secretary, and discussed a regional security developments and potential areas for bilateral defense cooperation. Here we go all over again. This is, I mean, this is not a joke. Here, report to Congress on Afghanistan and U.S. policy. This is December 6th. It says two years after the Taliban's 2021 return to power. Oh, you mean when you guys handed power back over to the group that you, say, you claimed you invaded for and then had peace talks with them, which really did happen? February 25th, 2021, breaking the stalemate. Biden can use the U.S. Taliban, Taliban deal to bring peace. Don't Trump doing, did the same thing, guys. The point was, after their return to power, which is the U.S. gave them back the power and left all of them, they have tanks and all sorts of stuff the U.S. government left there. I believe there were tanks, but there's all sorts of U.S. military equipment. U.S. policymakers are still grappling with the reality of the group's autocratic rule. Yeah, the group that you guys allowed to take power and the negative consequences that rule has had for many Afghans and U.S. policy interests. Yeah, not buying it. The, in 2021, U.S. international forces withdrew from Afghanistan after nearly two decades. Right. After a failed effort, 
with only worsening situations with however many thousands of Americans died, however many hundreds of thousands of Afghanis died with no achievement. Taliban still power. Now they're in control again. They gained from that. All that was, was a multi-trillion dollar intelligence manipulation. It says the United States, oh wait, it says um, in 2021, the U.S. international forces withdrew and the Taliban, a Sunni Islamist extremist group, right? Not Shiite, Sunni, just like the Wahhabi, Wahhabist, uh, Saudi Arabia, Sunni elements. That's where this all stems from. Interesting how all of the elements that the U.S. and Israel fight are on the Shiite side of it all, right? Other than Hamas, which is an enemy of ISIS, but it says... That formally ruled the country from 1996-2001 retook power. The United States does not recognize the Taliban or any other entity as the government of Afghanistan and reports there are no U.S. diplomatic or military personnel in the country. It's not true. Secondarily, you don't recognize any entity? Well, then explain for me how you can literally negotiate a deal with them, then leave and act like you don't recognize the terrorist organization or whatever you want to see them as. as like, that's the point of one of these things we're going to get into next. The Taliban was the terrorist organization, they said, that, was ju- that justified the invasion of Afghanistan. Then all of a sudden, they became a group we tried to deal with. So they never stopped being what you said they were. So again, just like I say about the Sudan, that either means that you never really cared they were terrorists when you started to work with them, or they weren't ever really terrorists. And you only said that to justify invading. You can't play it both ways. If you're dealing with them, you're dealing with terrorists, or they weren't what you said they were. Just like what's happening with Hamas and everything else we're talking about. Now, sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes you have to go to the table for diplomacy and negotiations with whoever you're fighting. You see how they play this game? We don't deal with terrorists. And two days later, they sit down and have a hostage exchange with Hamas. It's just it, these people are jokes today because of how much they've lied about. Now, down here, it says some members have also expressed concern about dire humanitarian conditions in Afghanistan. All I'm built showing you here, there is a building effort to push back into Afghanistan because we never actually left. Not really. It's not the occupation that was before. But the reality is their presence is still there. And that's why they're being called on. Since the Taliban takeover, they say Afghanistan has faced intersecting and overwhelming humanitarian and economic crises. Just, just think about even stating that right now, like that's of your concern. The, the very thing that you created by destroying this country, by outsourcing all of its resources, actually that's another point to include. Let me see, let me look this up. They stole all sorts of resources from the mountains of Afghanistan. That's quite frankly, probably one of the most important aspects here. It was, uh, I'm looking at the word that it stands out to me. I think it was defray in the headline. It was like defraying costs, something like that, where they literally discuss how they were going to steal the resources from the mountains, you know, to offset their costs for illegally invading the country. That's how the U.S. government operates, right? Huh. Look one more time. But going forward, in response, the United States has provided over $2 billion in humanitarian development assistance. Now, how do you think that makes sense? So they're going, we don't. Let me see if it popped up. What? I know that was the word. Hmm. Oh, well. Let me try one more thing. But 
you're telling us you don't have enga- engagement with the government of Afghanistan or excuse me, the Taliban who you let take over power, but don't engage with as the government, but then send $2 billion to the controlling faction in Afghanistan, which is the Taliban. How does that make sense? Right? So you give them all this money for humanitarian assistance and act, and then make sure that they say, Oh, but, but that money has not been dispersed. Like they had, that's not it. They gave it to the Afghan fund, but then discuss how it hasn't been dispersed in regard to being used for the people. Gee, I wonder why. Ultimately, I see that as as money changing hands to the very people they pretended they were trying to fight the whole time. There it is. Yeah, see, that word is in there. Telling you, this website, I'm telling you, there's something going on with this site lately. Defray was the exact word I looked for. U.S. to extract minerals from Afghanistan to defray cost of U.S. assistance. (laughs) Really? That's 2017. Of assistance, 20 years of destruction. And by the way, allowing people that the warlords to rape children, right in, in one case on a US base. This was broken down by corporate media. And they said, well, you know, it's a different culture. That's literally what their argument was. Yeah, but let's steal from them to defray the cost of our quote assistance. This is the US war machine. Here's the, uh, debrief, the briefing in regard to Afghanistan from December 13th. Matt Miller. Here's what he says in regard to Afghanistan. It says, yes, the Pakistani army chief is in Washington seeking U.S. support against alleged terrorist safe havens in Afghanistan. Telling you guys, it's coming back. What kind of support is the U.S. willing to offer Pakistan and will drone strikes be considered? He says, Matt Miller says, so I'm not going to comment on uh, other than generally speaking, we look forward to partnering with Pakistani government on regional security and defense cooperation. See? Which means engaging in Afghanistan, as if this is some new deployment, which never technically stopped. We have taken a number of steps to partner with them this year on anti-terrorism activities, discuss the shared terrorist threat facing our two countries. So you invade on tal- based on Taliban. Then you deal with them intermittently many times. Then you pretend like they're an enemy. Then you leave and leave them all of your equipment, $2 billion go to the country, and you make a peace deal with them. That's what we showed you with Biden. And now act like they're, again, the problem. That's what this is about. Where's this one here? They're talking about the Taliban. Like, doesn't that just make you laugh out loud, but like cry at the same time for how disgusting this is? It says CBS spoke with the family of Ryan Corbett, an American who's been unlawfully detained by the Taliban for over, almost, I think, over a year now, apparently. Why haven't they done something about that? Aren't they the ones literally in deals with the Taliban? And they're holding an American citizen. They don't care about that. He's been held for 16 months. It says, we are told as part of our reporting that special representative Tom West just met with Taliban representatives. Oh, so they are dealing with terrorists. And per there, uh, says the State Department's readout of the meeting, the detainees, including Ryan, were a central focus of the conversation. A Taliban readout didn't mention detainees at all. So we're curious how willing, how willing you believe the Taliban to be to engage in the topic of detainees at this moment. Here's Matt Miller. So I don't want to try to assess their willingness. What I will say is that, of course, we have no higher priority than the safety and security of U.S. citizens overseas. Oh, do you, Matt Miller? Well, what about the Americans who are still in Gaza? What about the Americans who are literally Palestinian Americans who never left Gaza, who hundreds of them who are still currently being bombed indiscriminately? We don't talk about that anymore. So those Americans, of course, because they're Palestinian Americans, just haven't even been, they don't even matter. 
Do you realize they briefly pointed that out after people like us were relentless about it in the first couple of weeks, and it took them over a week to even mention that there were Americans in Gaza? There's Britons in Gaza, too. There's people from all over the world. They don't care. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm talking about American citizens, guys, who are in Gaza, who are Palestinian Americans. There's, I think they said about 400 to 600 of them. They're still there. And they have never stopped Israel from indiscriminately bombing. They're killing their own people, which we'll get into in a second. Think about how wild that is. And he has the nerve to say no higher priority than the safety and security of our citizens. I guess unless they're being bombed by Israel, then we don't care, right? Not just in this meeting, he says, but in previous meetings, we have continually pressed for the release of Americans detained in Afghanistan. What about Americans detained by Israel? When they took over a flotilla, one of the people that was on that flotilla a while back was one of the veterans who was literally on the USS Liberty. They took him hostage. They held him in a prison cell for months. They never, they never even talked about that. Clearly, you don't care about Americans at all, but especially when it's not convenient for you. Special Representative West did meet with the representative of the Taliban this week and pressed for the release of Ryan Corbett and other American detainees. It is something that we never lose focus on. And I'd say that from the secretary on down, number of people in this, this building and the administration work on it. So I wouldn't want to assess their willingness other than to say that it's the highest priority. Yeah. So maybe another 15 months, we'll work it out. Like, are we, are we of the mind that the Taliban is not like the point is guys, it's very, I guarantee you they could give them something to get these people back, but it's not important to the world. People are focused elsewhere. I'm willing to bet most of you didn't even know Ryan Corbett was a conversation. And that's why they don't care. Because they don't care about you anyway. They only care about people when it's advantageous to their agenda. Should make you sad. An American's detention in Afghanistan tests U.S. resolve to negotiate with Taliban. Again, apparently. <laughs> right? Because, yeah, it happened already many times. But we act like it's new because we want to. Because that's what the mainstream media does. They frame it just the way they're told. Serving up your news just the way you like. Ryan Corbett spent 15 months in prison. His family worries. Time is running out. This was November 14th when this was written. Now, in regard to Syria and Iraq, I just want to include, because let's realize, it's also still there. And so, if you're unaware of this, guys, these are all illegal engagements. Every single one of them. The U.S. Congress has not initiated war on Syria. Or on, well, in the case, I should say, in that case, we're talking about Syria. But ultimately, all of these are illegal. Illegal occupations, illegal wars based on lies, or just unilateral wars with no congressional approval. These, our government is a rogue entity. They don't even care what you think. That does not mean America or the American people. That's the two-party illusion trying to keep you all dragged into what they say is the reality. But in this case, this is from November 17th of this year, U.S. forces attacked 151 times in Iraq and Syria during the Biden presidency. Right. And you know what? Every single one of them was a legal attack under international law. Yeah, that's going to bother some hardcore left-right people who are all jingoistic about all this, and it's all about pro-pro-America all the time, but the reality is they're illegally occupying both of those locations, and we all know that. Nobody really disputes that. Not really. They just claim we have a, a justification. Under international law, it doesn't matter what you write down on a piece of paper. You're still breaking the law. You are not allowed to be there, especially since the U.S. Congress has not approved it, and they just voted again 
to still not care about that. This new Congress votes to say, we don't care that we never gave you the the authority to do this, so keep doing it anyway. So when when, when they attack a military base, it's protected under international law. And occupied territory under the Geneva Conventions has the right to armed rebellion, period. When they, if they are fire at a civilian, they steal, rob, kidnap, rape, any, that's are crimes. And they have to be accountable for that. These attacks on military locations were legal and protected. The point is war, war, illegal occupation, all these locations, tax dollars, investment, human life. Here's Venezuela. Now, we haven't really gotten into this in the show. It's, it kind of popped up during the time we were focusing on Gaza, but it's still an important conversation. Just give you the quick, brief background on this. The article from Al Jazeera, U.S. throws weight behind Guana in territorial dispute with Venezuela. Shocking. The U.S. government would probably throw itself behind Hamas right now if it battled Venezuela. But the point is, clearly, this is about doing anything to support the downfall of their adversaries. Now, this this one's a little bit more interesting, though. Now, ultimately, what we're talking about is the allegation from Venezuela, and I'll just read you what they wrote right here, saying that they they're they're trying to they well their people in general voted to annex the oil rich area within Guana which they claim forms the natural part of Venezuelan territory that was unfairly delegated to Guana a century ago now this is where it gets interesting now i have no doubt south america has been a playbox for the us imperialists for a very long time overthrowing countries for fruit company interests. I mean, it's it's easily easy to look up. It's still happening today. They just call it something else. So what's interesting is it wouldn't surprise me at all. It's very obvious that the U.S. government, or even before that, with many other, you know, Britain, for example, will just apply their will to, to their financial interest, even or more than that, at the expense of any other country because they're powerful. But if it was a century ago, there, you're kind of in a similar topic and we're talking about Gaza, right? But we're not talking about necessarily changing the dynamic of, you know, people's homes and all that. We're just talking about who basically has the rights to the resources. But it still plays a different dynamic, right? Because how long have they had this? And does that change what, what they can do? Will, will it throw their country into poverty if they get removed from this? You know, on top of that, though. How is Venezuela trying to deal with this discussion? Are they trying to just take it with nothing for Guana, or is it going to be a conversation? I would be willing to bet you that if it wasn't the U.S. government sticking their military finger into this whole thing, that it might work out differently than just the way the U.S. government operates, which is just blunt kinetic stealing from people using their force. But I could be wrong. I don't think any government ultimately is on our side. But my point is how the U.S. government steps into this, right? The U.S., the United States is fully backing Guyana, actually, excuse me, against Venezuela's threat to annex the oil-rich Western territory. Now, why this is so absurd, even if you think Venezuela's in the wrong, is because the U.S. government steals what it wants every 30 seconds. It stole the Golan Heights, which is rich with resources, and particularly water in that case, and gave it to Israel. Why? Strategic interests. Nothing to do with anything else. They are currently still occupying Syrian territory for the oil, as Trump literally said on the record, and the wheat and many other examples. Let me see if I even have that. No, it doesn't look like it. I had that, that video from Trump, but I think I already uh, downloaded over it. But the reality that they're act, they're constantly annexing and stealing and, and, I mean, occupying these countries. 
like I just showed you, stealing the minerals from Afghanistan. To think that they actually care about the international law surrounding the legalities of who has the right to the resources, I, I mean, that's insulting to your intelligence. I, I mean, it's, I think it's quite obvious that they're really, there are two reasons they're doing this. One, because they're going to, are, are already and continue to profit from that, that deal. And on top of that, whatever will put Venezuela on its heels. Because there's lithium, gold, and oil in, in Venezuela that's very important to them. And just because they're somebody that challenges the world order of the Western hegemony. Very interesting. So there's another another war footing for you right there, which I guarantee is going to build. They're going to justify. I mean, look at it this way. All of a sudden, if the U.S. government pushes back into Afghanistan because Pakistan says these terrorists are fighting, whatever the justification, okay, boom. The investment there, human life, resources, money, billions of dollars in war. Venezuela, suddenly they start trying to take the territory. Guyana says, no, we won't let it. U.S. is invested. Suddenly people, money, resources, war. That's how this is working. Each one of these locations. Always. It's not just the one thing the corporate media is highlighting for you right now. Here's Daniela, Daniela Modis. People aren't even discussing Ukraine as much. The Ukrainian armed forces, according to Russia, launched a missile strike on Mariupol, which I found very interesting. Now, you can look at the, the, the uh, Telegram channel here with the link and everything, which will show you where they're reporting this. After the shelling was recorded from Ukrainian federal unitary forces in the direction uh, it says, from the northeast to the direction of the settlement of Mariupol, three long-range missiles were fired. Here is from the TASS agency, according, and this is from December 15th. A warehouse was, with construction supplies and a mobile uh, boiler facility were destroyed during an overnight strike. Now, here's what's interesting. The Ukrainian, Ukraine, Zelensky's government has already been caught bombing Poland. They lied about it, and they still maintain that it wasn't them, even though it was proven. It, I mean, the, gov the, the media did their job in obfuscating all of it, falling on the narrative that it was an accident, even though Zelensky maintained that it wasn't him until the very end, still says it was Russia. So they, they would lie for him even when he wouldn't take the lie. It's been pathetic. Or the fact that we can prove mathematically they bombed the Kromstock train station or that they murdered people in Bucha. All these stories have been completely broken down. So the idea that they wouldn't be capable of this is ridiculous, let alone the fact that they've been bombing into Russia, that the U.S. government, per the Times in the U.K., which they reported, the U.S. government was flying their helicopters into Russian territory and dropping Ukrainian forces. So if you think the U.S. government isn't specifically involved with this and that the Russian government doesn't know that, then you're not paying attention. This is already a U.S.-Russia dynamic right now. They know that. But it says the Ukrainian army eliminated a mobile boiler facility and a construction supplies warehouse in a strike with long-range projectiles on their own territory, Mariupol. So that's going to continue. I guarantee it. And some the, 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 the agenda that is Ukraine, in my opinion, keeping Russia engaged in that way is only one part of what they're trying to accomplish there. <clears throat> now it says Ukraine, this is from Il Benassi, saying Ukraine warned odds stacked against you as Putin prepares sinister final plan. That was per the Daily Express. This is all coming from Zelensky basically trying to float at the different discussions he's had in front of the United States entities that this is all going to get worse, right? We have to act now because Putin's going to take over the world. That's basically what he's pushing. When really it's the Azov movement that has been openly saying that. And there's no indication that Russia is going to do any of that, but it's certainly possible. 
But it's weird how we take at face value a narrative with nothing to back it up because they want you to justify their actions when the very group that you're with is saying that and they just go, no, no, you don't understand. <laughs> just think of how stupid that is. Now, it says Britain admits success of Putin's plan for Ukraine. Russia has seriously increased its chances of winning the confrontation with Ukraine, Daily, the Daily Express reports. <clears throat> the newspaper cites the opinion of retired British Air Vice Marshal Sean Bell, who states the situation on the front line has not changed in Kiev's favor. Russia has pretty extensive defensive lines, three layers of ditches, dragon's teeth, and minefields, which, despite the Ukrainians moving about 15 kilometers through them, has still not proven enough to make a breakthrough. Do you realize from the very beginning of this, and it's always been transparently obvious, that Russia was winning? <clears throat> now, they keep saying otherwise, just like they keep lying about what's going on in Gaza or any number of other situations. Because that's what's interesting. That's what there is in the interest of their agenda. Until suddenly it's not, and they just stop caring. And that's when you get Zelensky going, please bring me on the TV. And they're like, shut up. We're not talking to you right now. Remember, he tried to go on the Oprah show, and they were like, no, decline. <laughs> they were focused elsewhere. He lost all of his momentum. He says, the expert believes that this change in the U.S. administration will further complicate the situation for Kiev, demonstrating the advantages of Russia's strategy towards Ukraine, which aims to play the long game. Ukraine warned, odds stacked against you as Putin prepares the final plan. Basically, he's just trying to entice the... Western audiences into pushing more support because they're going to lose, which was always the plan, quite frankly. U.S. charges Russians with war crimes for torturing Americans in Ukraine. It's not a joke. December 6th. Right. So despite all of the, I mean, endless, I don't, I can't even count how many videos we saw posted by Ukrainians on their own telegram channels from the military of torturing innocent people. In Donbass, long before that, a decade. And that was even reported by the corporate media, where they were bombing civilians and torturing civilians. Just go back to the Maidan Square in general and look at some of the horrific things they did. But we don't care about any of that. Not at all. We're charging Russia with war crimes. War crimes. Didn't Matt Miller tell you how we... The point is, they will call them war crimes. They will act accused of genocide. They will say everything based on the fact that it's advantageous to their agenda. I am not saying that Russia is not capable of that. What I'm saying is you can prove endlessly the, the crimes that were committed by the Ukrainian military on the record, publicly displayed, nothing happens. Then you get the allegations of rape that were proven to be false. You get the allegations of kidnapping children. It turns out that they allowed them to be taken. They just didn't like that. I mean, it's, it's such a game that's played. They lie about this stuff. And yet the U.S. comes out now. Four soldiers accused of kidnapping and torturing Americans from his home in Ukrainian village. That's it. They highlight on one story of a four soldiers are accused of taking these individuals, of course, because they're Americans. Why don't you care about the other Americans? You get the point, guys. It's all about maintaining your focus on what they want you to think is important. Meanwhile, they are backing and funding the worst people on the planet. EU, of course, adds another 12th round of sanctions on Russia, which, guys, it, it's meaningless at this point. You realize this is just about maintaining a political spectrum? 12 rounds of sanctions? Obviously, they're not working. You realize that even in the sanctions conversation, if sanctions are going on this long, it sort of undermines the legality of them in the first place because sanctions are not meant to be an end-all, be-all. They're supposed to be only used if you feel like they will lead to an end. <laughs> But that's not the case because these people are illegal entities who act like they have your backing when they really don't, quite frankly. I don't think the peoples of any of these countries really support the governments anymore. 
Then we go over into Yemen, which is an important discussion. Will Shriver points out, <clears throat> excuse me, the USS Eisenhower is in the, 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 the strike group is inching closer to Yemeni missile range. Now we've talked about the Yemen conversation. Now, if you forget, Yemen has been under siege for a decade or more. They have been starving this country for a really long time. Nobody cared. There's no justification for it. You think if you think the siege on Gaza is illegal, well, it's the same thing. They blocked up the area, not the exact same thing, but they sieged the area of the Bahodata port. 90% of their food and everything else comes through there. And they've since had the worst starvation. They, I mean, they had a call outbreak, cholera outbreak. They had starvation. They had all sorts of things. People are dying of, of uh, dehydration, of, of lack of food. That went on forever. The UN says something. Oh, this is terrible. It's it's the acute starvation. Nobody cares. Nothing happens. No no sanctions. No uh, accusations of war crimes. Why? It's still happening. And realize they've occupied Yemeni territory under the guise that Saudi Arabian the, the Hadi is supposed to be in power, who's a person who's been living in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. When the Houthis are a group that the popular the Yemenis put into power, of course, then they become. Terrorists and Iran backed this and that because they're a group fighting for against U.S. interests. That's how this works. Just like how the U.S. government and Israel have, over the last so many decades, systematically funded the most radical elements of what they claim they're fighting, which you can prove, like Hamas. Because the people beneath them, or not beneath, but the people that were less radical than them, were not willing to bow to U.S. interests. This is their real entity. This is what they really are. They're willing to fund the thing that later kills people in your country because they want something. Then go on to act like they're fighting for you, which is always why I point out they're the worst of the worst. A, piece, a person, a murderer is bad enough, but a murderer that goes on to claim what he did was protecting that same person is disgusting. The worst of the worst. <clears throat> so the point is now with this going on, the same old starvation and these people that have lived for a very long time under the boot of U.S. imperialism who are watching their children starve to death are now being called terrorists again. And because they're firing on, or again, I, I argue that this <clears throat> is an interesting discussion around whether or not some of these are in fact coming from Yemen or rather false flags, but it's either way, yet the Yemeni military or the Houthis in general I wouldn't surprise me that they would fire on Israeli tankers or what they would think would be that because that's been happening to them and Iran and everybody else in this area for a really long time. Don't forget the limpet mines conversation, which was a false flag, <clears throat> but it says, will they make a run through the gate of grief? He's talking about the, we're talking, th this right here is the, is the, is Yemen. And this is the port of Hodeida right there. This is the Bob El Mandeb Strait. Right there. Bob El Mandeb, El Mandeb, excuse me. Now it says it's almost, uh, the point is, this is from M.T. Anderson, simply showing you the strike group is heading this direction. So this is only going to get more intense, I think, as they essentially end up, you know, as Scott puts it, ultimately declaring war on Yemen. He says, I woke up this morning to the news that my country, the United States of America, is preparing to go to war against Yemen, a superpower that spends nearly a trillion dollars a year on its military, is preparing to fight an impoverished nation where 70% of its population is in dire need of humanitarian assistance. That's what they do, guys. The reason? Because the Houthis of Yemen demand Israel stop committing genocide against the people of Gaza. What monsters. Our choice was, our choice was between pressuring Israel to give, to give into a ceasefire 
or to go to war with the Houthis and the Yemeni people. Well, the U.S. government chooses war. That's who they are. Not you, America, but the government that pretends to represent you. It speaks volumes about who Americans, or rather I would say the U.S. government, are as a collective. Again, I don't like that he frames it that way because I don't agree with that. Quite frankly, I think most Americans don't want that when really put to it. But as his P.S., I don't think this will end well for either the U.S. or for Israel. I agree. Now, inside paper rights breaking, U.S. announces a 10-nation Red Sea coalition against the Houthi attacks. So they're initiating a 10-nation engagement against a starved nation who is firing rockets in support of what's happening to one of the most obvious genocides in history. That's what's happening. The United States has announced the formation of a 10-nation coalition to protect the shipping in the Red Sea. Now, here's what's interesting, by the way. Let me grab the map really quickly. It's always worth pointing this out for people that don't know the area. It's, it's important to see it, to visualize what we're looking at here. Okay, here we go. So this, let me get the map up here too. This here, see if you can see that. There we go. So here is Yemen, right? Here's Oman, here's Saudi Arabia, here's Africa. So right here, here's the capital, Aden, Aden. Here, here is, this is the Bab el-Mandib Bab el Strait, that little choke point right there. This is por the port of Hodeidah the most important central location for Yemen in regard to their shipments and their food and everything that comes in through there, which is why they're, they're that. And that's what they've besieged for a very long time. What's interesting about this for a long before this, the reason this was happening, by the way, the reason this entire engagement was ongoing because they, the, the, the Yemeni people at the Houthis pushed out the control of the outside entities, which is not what the U S government wants control of the area. And they're fighting to maintain, to win back that control because this is an important choke point. Because right now, here's Iran over here. This is Iran. Iran controls this choke point, right? This is the other side of the landmass. That was the Strait again. I'm blanking. The Strait of Hormuz. That's right. So Iran has often said that if they some war starts. Well, they're going to shut down this trade route, which is very important. The Strait of Hormuz is where the vast majority of oil and shipments come out from Saudi Arabia to the world. Now, and they also have this one, which, by the way, after the controlled takeover of Egypt, they now control the Suez Canal, which allows you to come from the Red, the uh, Mediterranean Sea, over to the Red Sea. But. Yemenis have control over this area for the most part. And this whole time they've been fighting for this control so they can control effectively. If they were to shut down the Strait of Hormuz, they could effectively just go through this way instead. One of the reasons why they were also trying to run different controlled pipelines, different things coming through Oman and yeah, down to this area. Either way, the point is you see why this is such an important centralized area for what they would like to control. And they've been trying to starve Yemen to win that area. And you also have support from these other areas as well. Now, this is where they say Iran-backed entities. Well, Iran supports their, their, their ideologically supporting, as well as the fact that they support their fight for their independence. Now, you can sure as hell take it further than that, but there's no evidence to it. They make these claims all the time. And back when this was a larger focus on the show, I went through this with a fine-tooth comb and showed you that there, even their claims were based on 
simply intelligence allegations with nothing to back them up. But sure, certainly possible. I like to go on what we can prove. So why this is important overall is because right now, you're now seeing an engagement. They're bringing in this strike group and they're bringing all this in. They're going to take this as an as a justification, in my opinion, to do what they've been trying to do the whole time. This is all, all they really needed was this allegation, the argument, or rather their shooting to justify going in with a 10 person strike team and, and basically taking over an impoverished, starved nation. If that happens, I'm not saying that will happen for sure, but my point is I believe that that is where this is being. One of the reasons they're justifying this, at the very least, to control that choke point in the Bob Al-Mandeb Strait. Get back to this screen share real quick. All right. So he's saying the coalition known as Operation Prosperity Guardian, of course, because you can't hinder all your massive oil shipments and whatever else you're shipping through there human trafficking, you know, whatever else, includes Bahrain, Egypt, Jordan, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates, the United Kingdom, and the United States. The announcement comes after a series of attacks on commercial vessels by the Iran-backed Houthis. Now, I just hate the way they frame that. That's not technically incorrect, but when they say that, they in their mind, they're framing that as a proxy. It's not. Just like the PMU in Iraq and Syria, they're not proxies of Iran. They're just al- aligned with each other in the sense of allies. I mean, this is what I've made this point many times before. It's like saying the U.S. backed Israel or U.S. backed Germany or U.S. backed anything you're talking about because you then argue that, like, do you need to say that? We know they have allies. They have allies all over the place, right? Houthis have allies in other countries too. Do we say the U.S. and other countries backed Houthis? We don't because they're trying to put it out there to make it seem like they're run by that group. They're not. The coalition aims to enhance maritime security and ensure freedom of navigation. You know, unless you're one of the guys they don't like. So this is building, obviously. Now, into another conversation really quickly, and then we're going to go to Sudan before we finish this part about the United States. This is an interesting part in this push that comes from an Israeli side of this. Overlap briefly with the idea of, the, we recently had the conversation with Whitney about the CTI League, the Cyber Threat Intelligence League, the conversation of the pending cyber polygon, p- cyber pandemic, and all this, right? Which I do think is going to dovetail with the foreign policy agenda. C-Centered News points out a hacking group that the Times of Israel says has been, quote, previously been linked to Israel, is claiming responsibility for a cyber attack on Monday that paralyzed gas stations across Iran. It, basically, the, the operation was called Predatory Sparrow. It says some more quotes from the article. Kamini playing with fire has a price. Basically, so basically just saying, you know, Ron does what we claim they do. There's no evidence to most of what they say they're doing. So we're going to do anything based on our allegation, right? Iran's in Syria, bomb Damascus. Oh, where are they? Doesn't matter. We're, you know, we'll bomb Syria whenever we want if we just throw the word Iran out there. The point is it's illegal. When they bomb Syria, it's illegal every time even if Iran was actually there. So this this argument that whatever they're doing here is because Iran bad guy, it's just, it just, it's, first of all, it's not a legal justification. So where's the international community? Of course, it doesn't matter when they do it, or the US, or Britain for that matter. This is just a taste of what we have in store, just openly threatening more action. The group was believed to be linked with the Israeli military intelligence directorate. Now, that's an interesting point, isn't it? Israel linked. Okay. Well, 
it, based on the way they use it, then that's Israel, right? Iran back means Iran did it. Okay, well then here, then Israel's government did this. Are we okay with that? Are we, are we good with just making that allegation with nothing to back it up other than there's a connection for this group? Well, sure, they are, and I'm sure some people would be, but we're better than that, guys. We don't act, we don't blindly step into what we think is happening without something to back it up. In this case, the point is Iran linked very well, or excuse me, this Israel linked very well could mean the Israeli government. And my gut would tell me that's what's making, that would perfectly make sense right now. But a, a hacker group or an, a military entity who just simply is Israeli or, in, uh, you know, in many other cases, like, or just Palestinian, for example, does not then mean that they are what you would make them. That they are the Israeli government or Hamas or whatever else. That's the simplistic binary way they want you to engage with everything they do so you're more easy to manipulate. The main point, though, is yes, an Israeli link group claims the cyber attack that shut down Iran's gas stations, the very group that Israel is actively trying to achieve an end towards. I mean, it's just, it's so, it's very hard not to see this as an overlapped entity, but who knows? Bottom line, building. All of this is building, Iran being a focal point for Israel for a, from a long time ago. As Whitney points out, the leader of the CTI League, the head in this entity, his entire career has been about aiming the U.S. government at, at Iran on behalf of Israel. And then what do you know? All of a sudden, we've got these attacks against Iran that are, are adding to this dynamic. They're adding to this building back and forth. Like, I'm telling you right now, if they could get Iran to take an action, no matter how small, they would use it to its furthest extent. That's why Russia and Iran are wildly reserved when it comes to their responses to what the belligerent U.S. and Israel tend to do, because they know no matter how justified the response may be, it will still be used so they don't act all the time. That's not even a good guy, bad guy thing. We're just static reality of what the back and, the back and forth is. Now, interestingly enough, French Member of Parliament Thomas Porte demands that French nationals who are currently fighting with Israel must be referred to justice on charges of committing war crimes in Gaza. Isn't that interesting? Now, according to the French website, Europe One, right now there are more than 4,000 French people fighting in Gaza. Guys, I'm willing to bet you it's far more than we think. Americans, we know that's already there. Axios admitted there was a three-star general that was advising Israel on the ground. We know they've already sent special troops. We've got multiple examples of Americans on the ground. Uh, Freddie Pontone just showed you a special strike group that was clearly American. I mean, it's obvious, guys. So the point is, from a French perspective, it's noteworthy, they say, that the nationality law in France, which, by the way, this makes sense, stipulates that a holder of French nationality is not able to work for a foreign army. Yeah, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? And if he does, the nationality will be withdrawn immediately. Well, look at that. I'm willing to bet you there's probably something in the books for this, too. Or a member of Congress wearing an IDF uniform. You know, things like that. Interestingly enough, though, the point is, not only do we know there are foreign assets there, but that these people might actually lose their citizenship for backing what is, in my clear opinion here, a group committing genocide. Now, as Sarah also points out in regard to Israel, Israel's currently bombing Syria, Gaza, and South Lebanon. Now, this was yesterday. The point is this happens often, attacking three different countries in a single day while loudly proclaiming victimhood. That is Israel's specialty. Now, to finish with the Sudan, because I think this is an important overlay to the Israel conversation. Now, again, like I said to start, by the way, 
I just picked out some of the most important, obvious dynamics. Do you realize the U.S. government is invest is involved in most every country in Africa? I mean, really, every single one of them. The point is whether they're currently like deployed militarily is something different. But they're occupying. They got bases everywhere. But in, I mean, militarily engaged everywhere, all sorts of different locations in the Middle East and Africa and South America, all with your tax dollars, all with human life, and the disregard therein. For what? Do you really believe this is in the interest of peace? Even though every single year we can show their information that shows, oh, look at that. The war on terror only made terror stronger, which the only reason they do that is because it's, it's admitting a fail way down the line because they then roll it into the next thing. Well, now we have to push harder. Yes, we failed, but we figured out why. And here's how we'll beat it this time. Stuff like that. Sort of like saying, well, the injection, yep, we're now admitting there's some misfiring proteins, but don't worry, it's a way to fine-tune it, and we'll make it even better. Hardly. That's not working, but the point is, that's how they do this. Now, in the Sudan, it's an important discussion that overlaps with Israel, because we've, we've made this point many times. The Sudan was put on the terrorist watch list. Long time ago, by the U.S. government. Now, whatever your thoughts about what the Sudanese army, the Sudanese government, or specifically the RDF, uh, is it the RDF or RSF? I'm just forgetting off the top of my head. It is the RSF, excuse me, RSF. The point, whatever your thoughts on any of it, the point is they put them on this list, right? And then suddenly they wanted to normalize everybody during the during Trump's, you know, and before that and after, but that was the big push. Abraham Accords and all that. They want to push normalization deals with Israel because clearly Trump was one of the most pro-Israel people in, in, ever in president and ultimately pushed everything for Israel's agenda. And they said, well, look, we'll take you off the terrorist watch list if you normalize with Israel. That was it. No conditions, nothing necessary. You get the obvious point. Just like I said a second ago, either they were never actually terrorists, and you just made that allegation, put them on the list to coerce them, strong arm them into doing what you wanted, or you just made a deal with them because whether or not they're terrorists, as long as they're working for Israel, then you're okay with that. That's the only way you can look at this, and that happens over and over and over. Where's my favorite dictator? Trump famously said when Sisi walked in the room, the same thing they did in Egypt, same thing to do with EUA, all these locations. Why do you think Qatar houses the leadership of Hamas, which they're using to mediate the conversation for hostages? Do you think they're going to annihilate Hamas by only killing people in Gaza while literally still funding and keeping safe the leadership in Qatar for a future use? We just can't be this stupid. Now, Al Jazeera, U.S. deploys more troops to Djibouti for possible Sudan evacuation. April 21st, 2023. This has been ongoing for a long time. This is December 6th. The U.S. declares warring parties in Sudan committed war crimes because you know how much the U.S. government cares about war crimes, right? Again, should they align with Israel? They would go, who cares about those war crimes? They no longer exist because we did what we wanted. You, you just can't miss it. It's very serious and obvious. So this is a point about saying that the, the group we're discussing in a second committed war crimes and we have to do something about it. 
while you're illegally occupying seven different countries, while you're literally murdering people in real time in many of those countries and backing openly a genocide that's killing 150 children a day. But we'll put all that down to investigate these war crimes, right? Does that make sense to anybody? Developments in Wad Madani and El Fashar, 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 excuse me, Sudan. December 16th, this was two, three days ago, two days ago. The RSF, the Rapid Support Forces, it says, we urge them in the, in the Sudan to cease their advance on the Gazira state immediately. Now, this is a group, by the way, that the U.S. government and Israel have openly supported. Isn't this always how this goes? Right? Saddam Hussein was their chief ally until suddenly he didn't wasn't important to them anymore. Right? He he failed to overthrow Iran. So they threw him under the bus. That's what happened. Osama bin Laden was an ally of the United States. The Washington Post wrote he was a warrior of peace. It's a, it's a public image. You can look it up on Wikipedia. And then he became the biggest boogeyman in the world. Isn't that interesting how that seems to happen? How every one of the biggest boogeyman right before that was a U.S. ally? Isn't that strange? Or not, when you realize that this is very common. It says, Wad Madani has become a safe haven for displaced civilians and is an important hub for international humanitarian relief. Oh, okay. So the RSF is getting in the way of that. It's threatening. So, so you follow. It's threatening the safe haven for displaced civilians. Okay. And they're interfering with an important hub for international humanitarian relief. Does that ring any parallels for you? Goes on to say, a continued RSF advance risks mass civilian casualties and significant disruption of humanitarian assistance efforts. Hmm. Sounds very familiar. The RSF advance has already caused large-scale displacements of vulnerable civilians from Gaza, oh, excuse me, from, from Gazira State. Okay, sounds familiar. Many of whom have nowhere else to go. Very familiar. It's almost like we've talked about this before. And closure of markets in Wad Madani, on which many people rely. Okay, you get the obvious point. Hopefully. <laughs> so they're calling on the RSF. This is, this is December 16th, two days ago. This is written by Matt, or at least posted by Matt Miller. saying. RSF, stop what you're doing because you're displacing civilians. You're interfering with international relief efforts. You're risking mass civilian casualties and a significant disruption of humanitarian aid. What you're doing is risking large-scale displacement. Many of them who have nowhere else to go and closing down market. They, that is Gaza. Like, it doesn't matter like, think about it like this, guys. So the RSF is the group they're talking about, right? Okay, they're in these areas doing what they're doing. So by this justification, by Israel's argument, they could just bomb the whole area right now. Am I wrong? How, how is it different? If the U.S. government went in and just started carpet bombing this area while claiming we're doing our best to avoid civilian casualties, how is it different? The fact is it's not. They... The, the difference is that they just state they care about the very same things that Israel's currently doing. So in this case, Israel is RSF in this dynamic. They're doing the same thing. At least, again, I'm not even saying this is exactly what's happening on the ground in regard to Sudan. I don't know. It's what the, C the State Department is saying. 
But let's just say for sake of conversation, all that's real. The U- Israel, their actions right now in Gaza are displacing civilians in an unprecedented way, right? They're attacking important hubs for international efforts, right? They're What they're doing risks and is causing mass civilian casualties. What they're doing is, in fact, a significant disruption to humanitarian efforts to those civilians, right? I mean, every single point of this, displacing people where they have nowhere to go, attacking markets and bakeries and hospitals and schools and on and on that they use. But of course, none of that matters because Israel's doing it. In this case, the RSF, oh, you're a bad guy. And because they also kind of walked back on the normalization deal. So you're suddenly a terrorist again. See how that works? Now, here's what Robert wrote about the Sudan conversation in April of this year. The U.S. government is heavily involved in Sudan's renewed turmoil. Of course, the Western media omit this. Now, there's a lot of important information here that gets into the dynamic of the different leadership and how this has been used. But I want to cut to the chase of this specifically about the group we're discussing and the involvement of Israel and the United States in backing both of them. It says, what is important to understand here is that the portrayal of in recent events in Western media is deliberately misrepresenting the extent to which the United Kingdom and the U.S. government, as well as Israel, have been involved in these Sudanese affairs. Sudanese affairs. Big surprise, right? The narrative that is being pushed by the New York Times is that, quote, the violence is an alarming turn for a country that only four years ago was an inspiration to Africa and the Arab world. Why? Because they suddenly were deciding to normalize with Israel. That's it. Like, think about how that's, think about how embarrassing that is. So the New York Times is covering Sudan like a terrorist hotbed in the world, which maybe it's real. Who knows? That's up to you to decide. Literally nothing changes other than the agreement with Israel. And the New York Times goes, an inspiration to the world, because that's what they were told to say. Or they asked the U.S. intelligence experts that reflect that their, their assets, who they talk to when they write these articles, and they just regurgitate what they're told by the intelligence apparatus. But that's, that's journalism, <laughs> right? The obvious reality is that you could actually do your job and look at what they're claiming and then confirm those things, talk to Sudanese people, you know, no, no, no. Israel, are they doing well? Then yes, they're doing well. Then they go, they're doing well. And they're an inspiration to the world. Okay. So that was 30 seconds ago, right? Suddenly they're no longer an inspiration to the world. Isn't that funny? Claiming that Sudan has been on a path to democracy or normalization with Israel, which is the only thing that changed. A New York Times piece on this issue reports that the U.S. had lifted its sanctions on the country because it was inching close to democracy. But no, it was inching closer to a normalization deal with Israel. But this is what Robert writes, when in reality, Washington removed its designation as Sudan of Sudan as a state sponsor of terrorism as a reward for signing into a normalization deal with Israel. No changes required. U.S. Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin also signed an agreement to provide a bridge loan. Of course they did. To clear the $1.2 billion debt that Sudan owed the World Bank. Not only are you willing to wash the slate clean, you're going to buy their debt out because you control them, guys. That's how this works. The normalization deal with Israel was signed in secret in the country. It is no surprise that just over 48 hours prior to the outbreak of violence between the Sudanese military and the RSF on Saturday, this is, remember this is back in April, 
April 22nd. Special envoys from the U.S., U.K., and Sweden, just before this happened, had all taken part in a call with, guess who, RSF leader Himeti, which is his short name. His name is, um, I don't want to waste time trying to find it, but he, that, that's what he, they, oh, it's right here, Mohammed Hamdan Galdago, Himeti's official Facebook page. I'll make sure that's right. Hold on. I want to misquote it. Yeah, Mohammed Hamdan Galdago. Okay, that, and he's just known as Himeti. So the point is, they took, they met with, they took a phone call with this person. Now, this is a person who's responsible for rape, torture, horrifying things. That's why they called them. They were calling them out for this stuff. They discussed the dispute over request to integrate the RSF into the regular Sudanese armed forces, which, as I understand, it happened. This demonstrates that up until the last days. Prior to the outbreak of violence, Western envoys were openly in direct communication with the RSF. Remember, guys, this is the group that they're right now going, bad guy, bad guy, RSF, you're doing bad things. and We're calling you to stop those bad things as you were 30 seconds ago funding, arming, supporting this group. It says the corporate media are clearly omitting key facts because the RSF's war crimes are well documented, which shows you that you, corporate media just goes along to get along, guys. They live on access journalism, so they just don't report when they're told. In fact, it says the TMC, which was the trans, the, uh, the the military council, the transitional military council, which was set up to the aim of catapulting Sudan towards civilian rules. What it said this was in this is in the midst of a transition. Where was I? And it says that the 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 transnational transitional military council. Was that that was established after they out they outed the previous power structure, worked to downplay and block investigations into the 2019 massacre of around 120 peaceful protesters that were killed by the RSF. Right, so they literally work with the new power structure to hide what they were funding, supporting, and working with. And this is according to Human Rights Watch, which the link is there for you to look at. Human Rights Watch reported on what they were doing and how it got covered up. Now, it says, despite numerous pledges by Burhan and, and Hamedi to install a civilian leadership, which is what they were claiming they were doing by hiding all... Never happened. What's more, which big surprise, right? That's the big flashy statements of, well, we're going to good things we're going to do, and then it really ends up being whatever in the, it, whatever in the interest of the controlling powers. In this case, Israel, the United States, and Britain. It says, what's more is that the RSF has not only attempted to form relations with international players, ranging from the United States and Israel to even Russia, but has sent men from its 100,000 strong militia force to fight in the ongoing war in Yemen for both Saudi Arabia and the UAE. So get this. So not only have they been supporting this entity that is a, and I'll read the last part, which goes into what they've done, but this is a group the U.S. government as backed in fighting against the Yemenis people and the Houthis. And now it's a group that they're literally going, oh, they're, they're committing war crimes and mass civilian casualties. This is your entity. I mean, it's not as simple as that, but that's how we have to view these things. Like you, you, we need to start as peoples of these countries, whether it, it, respectively, calling these people out. We can prove they were working with this group, and now they're trying to act like they're the bad guy to justify their new step. They, 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 if you work with people like this, you are just expendable, always. 
It's probably why we're eventually going to see like a Fauci or someone like that get thrown under the bus for something else because you're always expendable. But it says, finally, Hamedi has also attended various security meetings with Israeli officials and intelligence officers, including a two-day trip to Tel Aviv to discuss bilateral relations between Sudan and Israel in late 2021. In December of 2022, and in, so a year ago, an investigative report even revealed that an Israeli intelligence firm had transferred cutting-edge phone surveillance equipment to the Sudanese military. This is all to say that the Israeli, UAE, Saudi, UK, American bloc have been aligned them, aligning themselves with the RSF, despite its history of mass rape, home invasions, massacres, and torture. There you go, guys. That's the real face of your so-called democracy. The, they steal the self-determination of countries they want to take from and then act like they're bad guys for pushing back against it. Meanwhile, they fund the worst elements around the world and use them to destabilize what they want to take from. It never stops. We can stop this, guys. They're doing this in your name every day. It's just It just needs to stop. And the problem here is that, oh, here is the link to that. Sudanese security delegation said to secretly visit Israel. This is the same group that is raping, murdering, pillaging, the same group they're now saying is risking mass civilian casualties that they're just like Homer in that Bush meme trying to distance themselves from as they back away. Nope, you're on the hook, guys. You put this group there. You funded them. You made them what they are. You're on the hook for it. But speak, keeping that in mind, now we're all day to 143, so we'll see what we get into to finish, but at least the main points in the title. The point is to consider all of what we've discussed throughout all of the Gaza just since October 7th. But very much also what happened before it. But even just from October 7th forward, considering what you've seen and what they're hiding from you and what they're using to justify ongoing genocide while they just blatantly ignore all of what these groups have done that, they're, that they are literally funding and arming. Again, that Israel gave in 2021 high-tech equipment to a group that is responsible for mass rape, home invasions, massacres, and torture. But guess what? That's what they do. Sort of like funding Hamas in the same way. So starting on this, this point, with a post from Caitlin Johnstone, I think this is actually really well, really well said right here. And she says, what we are seeing with Gaza is manufactured narrative splatting against reality over and over again. The Western Empire churns out propaganda narratives about what Israel is doing, and those narratives are crashing headlong into raw video footage and concrete facts in ways you often don't see. And I agree with that. Like, I really believe that this is, you know, I, I as this goes forward, the worse it gets, they'll try to find ways, in my opinion, to roll this into something else. It's always how it goes. At the, at, at the very least, the U.S. and the interest of getting away from this. But, but, but I, I think Israel, too. But the point is, I actually agree that this is just them failing right now. And now you've seen even the corporate media. Like at some level, you have to cut your losses. It doesn't matter how much you're invested. You will lose your ability to keep propagandizing if you don't finally pull over and go, yes, yes. What is literally slapping you in the face, I can now finally agree with. But that doesn't then mean that's the only thing happening. So I do agree with it, though. It says, here are some examples of made-up narratives. October 7th was an unprovoked attack. Made up. Well, obviously it wasn't unprovoked. It's embarrassing to make these arguments. Israel has a right to defend itself. 
Now, I won't, I won't comment on every one of them. We've already gone through all these. Her point is, these are all examples of made-up narratives. Jewish people can't be safe unless there's a homeland in which they receive preferential treatment over other ethnic groups. There cannot be peace until Hamas is eliminated. All civilian casualties are the fault of Hamas. All of those are ridiculous. And I've individually broken them down 50 times each on the show. Here are some examples of objective reality. Raw video footage of civilians who have been burned, mutilated, and ripped apart by Israeli military explosives. Photos of dead children who have been killed in Israeli airstrikes. The objective fact that journalists are being killed at a historically unprecedented rate in this onslaught in Gaza. The objective fact that civilians are being killed at a much higher rate than in other modern conflicts in a much smaller area, I'll add, with a much denser population in that small area. The objective fact that Israel is laying siege to a civilian population while systematically displacing them in mass and destroying their healthcare system. I mean, guys, this is, they, I guess, I almost can't put this into words. How my, this is being pushed past the part they have shaken people free from their control structure because of how clumsy and forced this was. And then you've got people that are feeling like they're obligated to go along with it, losing all of their following, losing all of their political support, which is why Biden and the rest are finally starting to crawl over to the other side and say, okay, fine, stop, you're killing people. The systematic displacement in mass. Like, think about watching this, watching them commit genocide where they just go, no, no, you're wrong, it's not. You know it is. Watching them displace the entire civilization and just go, it's further safety. I mean, it's, it's, it is literally the, like the saying of, you know, it's kind of vulgar, but, you know, pissing on you and telling it's raining. Like we are watching this play out and they know we know they're lying. She goes on to say the former category consists entirely of unsubstantiated thought fluff. Their stories, people made up to advance their own agendas and have no objective reality in and of themselves, which people see. The latter category, the one that we, the reality, consist of the concrete realities of the material world. Relatively few people are fully aware of just how extensively mental narrative dominates human consciousness and how this has allowed human civilization to be dominated by whoever can control what our society's dominant narratives are. The U.S. centralized empire, of which Israel is a part, has succeeded in establishing a system of narrative control, narrative control whose sophistication and efficacy has no parallel or precedent. But in Gaza, it isn't working. It isn't working because there's no amount of propaganda spin you can put on raw data that is self-evidently unacceptable and inexcusable. No matter how much propaganda spin you heap on top of video of a dismembered child, you cannot persuade me that it is fine and acceptable. This is a very, very big problem for the empire. There is panic happening behind the scenes. I actually agree with that. What's happening in Gaza is unspeakably horrific, and Israel's atrocities must end immediately. But if there's any silver lining in all this horror, it's that people are being snapped out of the imperial propaganda matrix like never before. Exactly. But to add to that, right now, while they're panicking, they're, they've already probably outlined 75 different ways they could spin you right back into it with the next thing. And that includes using what is a fail right now. 
which, by the way, when that happens, we'll then have people that claim that none of this was real. You all got played into accepting the narrative, which maybe or maybe not. The idea that we the, the, we can't always assume the thing that makes what they're saying the opposite or that because you're the contrarian that day and you're the one that sees beyond like the idea that the the popular narrative is always the false thing. That's just a way of acting like you're ahead of the curve. And sometimes when you're not, sometimes the honest thing, like as Caitlin would say, what they're telling you on the corporate media is almost always manipulated, but sometimes it is the truth. When they're telling us it's going to rain today, it's probably going to rain today. But when they're talking about some kind of war engagement, the point is question all of it, but don't dismiss any of it. Consider and question all the time. That includes corporate media. But again, I think that's spot on. Now, I was talking about this back in 2020 and even before that. So were a lot of people, by the way. But the reason I want to show you this, February 2020, was just this point here. Demonstrating our value, as always, but making sure you understand that this the evidence has been there for a long time. And now, finally, people are starting to be able to dig through some of the things that were kicked aside as racist or conspiracy theory or whatever they were, as she's pointing out, undeniably proven like Netanyahu funding Hamas or rather the Israeli government or the fact that he's on the record saying, you know, that we can make U.S. do whatever we want them to do. It's it's a provable fact. He said it. It leaked. It's obvious. But before all this, the average person might have been like, it might be fake. So I won't even talk about it because they might call me racist if I'm wrong. That's how that propaganda has always worked. The title on this is Netanyahu's coming Gaza, quote, full scale war. And it was a quote. Because it was from Netanyahu. And the point is that this is what has been the plan. In 2017, the decisive plan from Smotrich is what I believe was the basis for what became the current leak plan that WikiLeaks revealed. And that's about driving them into the Sinai Desert. And every other part has already happened. So we can watch this, but it's already deleted on YouTube. But I, you know what? I should have checked that first. I'm going to try to add the bit shoot version in this when I get done. But you saw this, I'm sure. I actually haven't watched all of it, nor have I watched all of the Alex Jones Tucker thing. Everyone's talking about it. I just haven't had time to watch them. Frankly, I don't find it to be important, really, but I do if I had time. But Chief Nerd shared this, you know, and it's amazing work during COVID, in my opinion. A lot of good stuff, but a lot of people have fallen, and it's not a knock on them, but I'm just a lot of people have fallen back into the two party paradigm kind of. Look at that, actually. This is funny. Yep, yep, to which I apparently made them unfollow me. See, see how this works? We maintain, I've been making the same arguments about this as I have long before this, the same arguments I made, but when we we crossed paths during the COVID narrative and all of a sudden we were all high-fiving and everyone's on the same page, we follow each other and then I keep saying the same things, but their focus shifts and all of a sudden they're, oh my God, Israel's on the good side now, even though they were just testing on everybody, even though we were telling everyone they were depopulating the planet and great reset and technocracy and then suddenly... Israel's fighting for freedom and we all defend those same people. Isn't that strange? That does bother me though. I mean, you know, there's not, I've, I've seen some of the stuff they're all putting out from their right wing talking points that I think is really painfully stupid, but I still follow people because I think there might be some interesting things to say, but I guess I'm unfollowed by a lot of these right wing accounts that we were aligned with during COVID. But anyway, the point was RFK Jr. and Crystal Ball get into a heated debate over Israel's response. Now, most people watch this and almost couldn't stomach the idiocy that RFK was putting forward. That's not to say that I think Crystal Ball, which I still think her name is hilarious, is that much more in the know, quite frankly. 
But nonetheless, what RFK is putting forward here, they are objective falsehoods. Really embarrassing stuff. And that's, frankly, left or right, what most people were saying that I could see online. But you got a lot of these, you know, pretty invested right-wing accounts that were framing this like we nailed it. If Mexico attacked us and we built a fence, would you blame us for caging in Mexico? Like, we should laugh at how dumb that is, how ignorant that is. Right, because Gaza is its own country and has its own Air Force and Navy and, and diplomacy and U.S. No, no, they don't. In fact, it's inside of a cage, literally all the way around. And it is occupied still, whether or not they pretended they pulled out of it. Like, it's literally something that they occupy. They then just build a fence around it and back away. And they're still in control of everything that goes in and out and everything's happening. And they go, we're done. We're not occupying you anymore. That's just dumb, guys. It's ignorant. It's obviously a ploy. And quite frankly, as we should know, the UN has never stopped maintaining it's an occupied area. That's not because what the UN says is true. It's just because those are the bodies that they have used to tell us we're supposed to look to to make those assessments. But my point was, and you can watch and listen to this. It's, it's hard to listen to. Robin Minotti posted this, and it was, I guess people took this as I was, uh, oh, see, oh, okay, wait, no, that's the wrong one, that, that I was disagreeing with him. I wasn't. I agree with what he says here. The only honest starting point which is missing here is that what it ha was happening in Gaza has nothing to do with Hamas. Hamas is simply, well, I mean, here's what he means by that. Hamas is simply the excuse for ethnic cleansing and genocide, and he, he is 100% right. So once you know, which by the way, I'm quite sure both of them know this because even Crystal Bull cites this, but doesn't really dive into it. If we know that Netanyahu or the Israeli government are and have been funding Hamas. And he states the reason for that is to keep them divided so we don't allow a state at a time when he was saying he wanted a two state solution. Obviously, they're lying. Obviously, he's pretending, he's fronting on the idea that we want the two-state solution, and it's always them that fail. Meanwhile, we now know, saying, I'm never going to let that happen. And yet, we still sit there and act like it's an honest engagement, acting like it's not a division tactic, right? But here's what I said. I said, it's depressing how the two-party illusion keeps otherwise intelligent people locked into their paradigm-serving illusions and lies. To me, quite frankly, this was like watching a blind man with earplugs fight a deaf man wearing a blindfold. Like, I swear to God, I'm watching this, I'm like, God, ah, pulling my hair out that I don't have because one, RFK Jr. just keeps like passionately saying things that are embarrassing. And then Crystal Ball brings up points that are like halfway there. I'm going, damn it. Like, you could destroy him with what he's saying if you just bring it to the point of true, the reality. But no, it all gets mired in the two party illusion, always. The reality, which I'm not suggesting that Crystal Ball was saying you should support Hamas, but the reality is you should not be supporting Israel or Hamas, guys. It's always binary. The reality is you should be supporting self-determination, international law, and individual, the, the civilians and their plight. That's what should matter. The Israeli civilians that are going, they're suffering because of the Israeli government, and in some cases because of Hamas, but far obviously, as we've now proven because of what the IDF has done. And, and again, what Netanyahu funded, which blew up in their face, which was Hamas, which is what even what Times of Israel wrote on October 9th. But the idea clearly that the other side of this in regard to Palestinian civilians are currently being annihilated in front of us. It's just so frustrating how this works with the two-party illusion. Now, the main point, and it looks like 
I want to go over some of the briefer points here, but I'll save some of the rest of this for the next show, possibly tomorrow. Cuds News points out the Geneva-based Euromed Human Rights Monitor estimates the real number of Palestinians killed since the beginning of this genocide is 25,000. And what is it now? What's the date? 60 days? I'm forgetting how long it's been. Including 10,000 children. 10,000 children. The number is, I think, 10,091 right now. Given the fact that at least 8,000 people have been trapped beneath the rubble of devastated buildings. Now realize, guys, whether that's a toddler or or a, a teenager or an old man or woman, a lot of these people are being buried alive and then slowly dying over the next, I mean, what, however long it takes you to die of, of thirst, which I think so many three, four days probably, if that's accurate. I think that's right. The point is these people are sitting there. Nobody can help them because they don't have any any materials, no no equipment to help. You know who does, though? Israeli government rolling through there with all sorts of bulldozers. They don't care about that, though. We don't care about the very civilians we pretend we're trying to keep safe. You realize people can literally hear them calling from the rubble and they can't do anything about it. It makes me sick. This is why it's so hard not to feel emotional about this. Because it's bad, guys. This is bad. This is one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. And in again, I've said many times, this will, just from what's already happened in the short time it's happened with the size of what this place was, this will be talked about for centuries. Sarah points out, Israel has slaughtered 10,091 Palestinian children. Oh, excuse me, 72 days. So let's do the math on that. See where we're at. And let's not forget that it is way more than that based on the unknowns that we don't know were down there. So if we're talking about 72 days, 10,091 children. Oops. 72. So about the same, about 140 children every day. So today, 140 children were killed as they were doing their best to avoid civilian casualties. I don't know how you can even rationalize 140 children a day as in somehow doing your best. And don't forget, as they're doing their best, they're being asked to do more by the U.S. government because that totally makes sense, doesn't it? Matt Miller and KJP just can't stop yelling and insultingly telling you they're doing everything in their power and then going, we need you to do more as if we're that stupid. Well, if you want to read some of these numbers, this is from Euromed Human Rights Monitor. 25,612 killed, 10,091 children, 70% of them women and children, 5,390 women, 52,000 injuries, 89 journalists killed. That's, that's unprecedented anywhere. That's never happened before. Imagine having all these unprecedented numbers and still acting like you're doing all you can. This is over, guys. They've lost control of this a long time ago. The first week I wrote, Israel already lost control of the information war because they had. Almost 2 million people displaced. This, I mean, guys, this is worse than the original Nakba, which was over 800,000. Completely destroyed units, 63,000 homes. Completely destroyed. 173,000 partially destroyed. 147 press headquarters. So think about how ridiculous this is. 147 uh, press locations. Not Hamas buildings, but international press, like Reuters, uh, uh, French Press Agency, 
Al Jazeera, whatever the rest we're talking about, the groups that are all there, CNN, whatever else, that's what we're talking about. Now, obviously, I don't think, I don't think, no, I think they do actually. Most of them have at least some presence in these areas. Regardless, all of these are protected. 291 damaged schools. And see, this is industrial facilities. 1,441. They're just destroying the, the, the civilization that they were able to build while being stepped on the whole time. Damaged mosques, 156. Four damaged churches. Targeted health staff, 473. 126 hospitals. All bombed. Rules-based international order. Apparently, that's all doing their best. And in, in Israel's doing their best is more than we've ever seen in history in this kind of a war, which makes sense to me. Now, here is a press statement made by some of these medics. Remember this. Well, we may not get to it at the end, but here he's letting you know what they're dealing with. The breach of international law that they're seeing. Most of these people are not from Palestine, right? So like, like uh, Abu Sita, I've mentioned many times, is from London. Right. So at what point do we realize how obvious it is these people from all around the world who are willing to have their lives taken by Israeli bombings, who are standing up and saying there is not a Hamas presence here. We are watching people die in the streets. We are watching them snipe people in the hospitals and nobody cares. And all they do is go, you're Hamas. We are reaching the point of no return where blatant disregard for international humanitarian law, scars our collective consciousness. As of this morning, 283 healthcare workers in Gaza have been killed. The last two months has been the deadliest conflict in United Nations history, with 133 of their staff members killed. There have been 212 attacks on Gaza healthcare facilities since October 7th. This includes 24 different hospitals that have been bombed by Israel, over 100 ambulances that have been put out of service. Israel has arrested dozens of doctors. Their whereabouts remain unknown. The head of the main hospital, Shifa Hospital in Gaza City, Mohammed Abu Salmiya, has been under Israeli arrest since November 22nd. Many other senior doctors have continued to be held by the Israeli military for almost two weeks with no charges and no one knows their whereabouts. Rantizi Pediatric Subspecialty Hospital, bombed. Al Nasser Pediatric Hospital, bombed. Gaza's only eye hospital, bombed. Gaza's only mental health hospital, bombed. Wafa Rehabilitation Hospital, bombed. The seniors facility immediately adjacent to Wafa Rehabilitation Hospital, bombed. Algera Children's Hospital, targeted with prohibited white phosphorus, October 12th. Indonesian hospital, the only hospital currently operating in the north, still trying to treat patients while being bombed. Shifa hospital, bombed. 
the two medical schools in Gaza, Islamic University of Gaza, bombed. Al-Azhar University Medical School, bombed. <clears throat> Médecins Sans Frontières Ambulance Convoy, bombed. Red Cross Ambulance Convoys, bombed. Of 35 hospitals in Gaza, as of this morning, 26 are non-functional. Nine remaining only partially functional, but they are operating at more than double their capacity with critical shortages of basic supplies and fuel. These facilities are also providing shelter to thousands of internally displaced people. Palestine Red Crescent Society yesterday announced that operations of their ambulances in northern Gaza has stopped due to depletion of fuel, hospital closures. It is now impossible to evacuate wounded people in the north. Instead, those patients are left to die. As of this morning, over 17,000 Palestinian people have been killed, including over 7,000 children. There are at least 46,000 people injured, thousands of whom are critically injured. There is insufficient hospital space to treat even a fraction of these patients. Massively overcrowded United Nations shelters have become havens to spread infectious diseases, including a hepatitis A outbreak, multiple meningitis outbreaks, lice, skin infections, and multiple diarrheal illness outbreaks. The United Nations Human Rights Office has declared on December 5th, the pattern of attacks that target civilian infrastructure raises serious concerns about Israel's compliance with international humanitarian law and raises the risk of atrocity crimes. There have been immeasurable numbers of violations of special protection to civilians, children, and medical personnel, and widespread violations of international humanitarian law. Man, let's not forget the Jerusalem Post even wrote the ICC, the International Criminal Court, spoke up and made it clear. The burden is on Israel to prove Hamas is using human shields. And even, But understand, even though that's the argument, that still does not mean, even if you were to prove Hamas was doing so, that you could then bomb a hospital full of civilians. That's not the reality. But think about how wild that is. Even that, they still have yet to prove a single allegation. Even the Sheba Hospital was accused of being manipulated by the BBC and other corporate media that literally caught them lying. Altering the gun locations, bringing in boxes full of full of whatever they brought in, setting the stage, lying about what they were showing you in the tunnel. Doors were different on both sides, different tunnel angle. I mean, it was ridiculous. They were drowning in their lies. They still are. It's very reactive. The point is, guys, obviously this is not justified. Anybody with a brain can see this. On top of that, you know what they're going to say. All the things you're pointing out, just like they do in other cases, people that are not genuine are going to say that that's because they're disgusting. 
right? They're just dirty and they don't know how to keep it. Oh, no, it's because you're putting them in places that are designed to be impossible to live in, pumping water underneath them so things flood, making sure it gets disgusting. I mean, ultimately, making sure they have no way to keep themselves. They don't even have enough water, let alone drinkable water, should they have that. 97% undrinkable before October 7th. All these are being called lies by the Zionists with nothing to prove them. It's amazing how obvious all this is. They have lost control. Now, here is a clip. Many people are calling stuff, like, like kind of off the back of that same point. You know, people are out there acting like if you care about what's happening to Palestinians, then you're just a Hamas-supporting terrorist. Pro-terror is what they've been calling it. One of these pro-terror rallies as you're literally chanting for a ceasefire. Like, it's just, it's embarrassing. Well, I said, hey, Ben Shapiro, is this person also trash and a useful idiot for Hamas, both in quotes, as you called the Jewish Voices for Peace group, simply because they call for a ceasefire, right? As I, as I pointed out, Ben Shapiro, I will pop up, hold on, was denigrating Jews because they were protesting a ceasefire. Right. So as we're being attacked for hating Jews, even though we're obviously not doing that, and in fact, I'm actively fighting for anybody, whether Jew or Muslim or Palestinian or Israeli, if they're being stepped on by their government. Meanwhile, here comes Ben acting like he's the defender. Well, for, well, you're a dirty trash Hamas, stupid, what do you say, a useful idiot for Hamas because I don't like what you're protesting. Right. Like we're not allowed to have a difference of opinion. Isn't that what you pushed to the woke crowd back when you were pushing back? Like, Maybe you should go sit in your room by your, what, what, I forget what he said. Basically saying if you can't take other people's opinions, then maybe you shouldn't be here. Take your own advice there, Ben. Literally attacking them because they said something he didn't agree with. Like what? A, anyway, I said, hey, Ben, here's a person. Is, is this person also trash and a useful lady for Hamas? As you call Jewish voices for peace, simply for calling for a ceasefire. Is it rapidly becoming clear to anyone paying attention who the real useful idiot is here? Here is a Holocaust survivor calling for an end to the genocide in Palestine. Painful for me as, uh, as someone who has experienced all of the terrors that Gazans are experiencing, and even the uh, horrific attacks in Israel by Hamas. But uh, Hamas's attack on Israel does not justify the slaughter of women and children, especially children. I was a child of war. I have experienced all of these things. I have also, I've also known for a fact that what Israel is doing will not end this conflict. It will only exacerbate it. It will that. increase resistance to anything. I think that Biden needs to defund uh, all of the money that is given to Israel. You know what they call that when anybody else says that? Jew hate, racism, anti-Semitism. Literally. That's how stupid it is. You're literally calling for the defunding of a political entity, and they say you hate Jewish people. It's because they're desperate to stop. Zionists are desperate to stop you from seeing what they're actually doing. Or even if you don't like it in that perspective, which I'm, that's the case, just the Israeli government is desperate to not let you see that they're committing crimes. So they fall back on the allegation that you're racist if you point out their crimes. Because, wink, wink, you secretly only say that because you don't like Jewish people when they're not committing a crime, and it's all a big lie. That's the narrative. 
right? Okay, well, here's a Holocaust survivor saying that. Or here's Jewish Voices for Peace, all calling for... It doesn't matter. Here's Orthodox Jews protesting the Zionist government. They get beat up by the IDF, but we're still somehow racist for saying the same thing when we mean it. That we want a ceasefire. That we want peace. Not some wink-wink secret racist concept, but we mean it. We want peace. We want there not to be a war where both sides are suffering. But you see, the U.S. government, the Israeli government, all these entities, that's what they want to maintain, just as she's saying, to continue this. I think he should not only call for a ceasefire, I think he needs to start thinking about peace. I hate that they put that on. I got to start ending them before I show the TikTok thing. Well, here's uh, Reed. Let this radicalize you says, oh, first of all, we'll start with this, which I, I actually can't believe. This is the, uh, what does it stand for again? Uh, car, car, uh, car care national. I forget what it stands for again. Let me look it up real quick. It is the Council on American Islamic Relations. That's right. That's right. Okay. So, of course, and by the way, this is not, this is a very, very um, Israel-leaning platform. Israeli city officials say the entire, oh, wait, is this the one? Let me take take that back in case I'm mistaken. There's one that I think is similar to this that is basically, like it's, it, it advocate, acts like it advocates for Muslim interest or Palestinian interest, but it's it's completely on the side of Israel. In case I'm wrong, but don't take my word on that. It might be the wrong one. In any case, the point is the article. Israeli city officials say, quote, the entire Gaza city should be emptied and leveled flat, just like in Auschwitz. Actually, yeah, now that I can see that it says ceasefire now in Gaza, I, I take that back. So I forget which one it was. If I if you know what I'm talking about in the chat, guys, put it in which one it is. I thought it was a very similar name. But in any case, that's not the point for now. The Jer- Jerusalem Post article. This is this is a genuine, this is an article that it's just, it's exactly what we're talking about. This is from David Azule, head of the Matula Council. He's proposing openly sending Gazans to refugee, to camps in Lebanon and flattening the Gaza Strip to make it a museum like Auschwitz. I I mean, it's it's almost, it almost feels like this is meant to be contentious to draw a reaction, like not real almost, but it is. As this person says, as a Jew, I cannot fathom saying this. I cannot even fathom saying anything remotely like this. Never again means never again for anyone. Not let us enact the Holocaust ourselves upon others. I mean, this is why they're shaking people, people that would normally defend them, even if they disagreed by saying things like this. And I mean that from the perspective of the Zionist government using Judaism. He's saying, I can't even believe they would say this. So here's what it says. <clears throat> Israel should be sending Gaza, Palestinian Gazans fleeing the fighting to refugee camps in Lebanon, which technically that's not what he's even saying. I'll read what he says. They're making it sound like only the ones that are willing to get out of the way. No, no, they're, they're attacking anybody that's still there, even though people are unable to move. Actually, I'll point that out before we leave. The, the, the three that were waving white flags, right? The argument is that they're shooting everybody anywhere, no matter what including hostages, which I think we just found out. But the reality being is they as oh, well, because we had a shoot order that they were, they were supposed to be gone. Well, there are hospitals full of people that are unable to move. You know that because you left about six or seven of those infants to rot to death in those hospitals because they weren't able to move. But we know we have, there's people that are already bombed that are losing, have lost limbs, people that are on ventilators, people that are too old. 
And now you just pretend they're terrorists because they are unable to leave the area. You say if they remain in, they're therefore a terrorist. That's the same point I made. That's the Obama era concept. If we bomb an area, anyone there is a combatant because if we bomb, those are combatants. Like they retro, they get ahead of time, say, if we bomb a location, anyone present is deemed a combatant. That's it's criminal. But here's what it says. After October 7th, instead of urging people to go south, we should direct them to the beaches. The beaches. Which, by the way, was a whole thing about driving them into the sea. The Navy can transport them to the shores of Lebanon. Right, so that right there is a war crime. These people don't want to leave their homes. So now you're forcing them out of their homes, which, by the way, you already did, acting like they were going to come back. We're just going after Hamas, we were told, right? Right in the beginning, they made it clear that was a lie. People are just too willfully blind. They don't want to hear it. Now, how do you say otherwise? They're proposing plans that never, there's not even a discussion about them coming back. We're driving them out, and now we're discussing how we put them somewhere else because that was the plan. We just can't be this blind how obvious this is. Where there are already sufficient refugee camps. Why? Because of the original Nakba, first of all, and then whatever else, driving people out. Then a security strip should be established from the sea to the Gaza border fence. Completely empty. As a reminder of what was once there. Right. Genocide. And mass displacement. Occupation. Apartheid. But yeah, let's make it a museum so we can warmly remember how we destroyed these people's lives. They literally say it should resemble the Auschwitz concentration camp. That's a direct quote. Quote, tell everybody in Gaza to go to the beaches. Navy ships should load the terrorists onto the shores of Lebanon. Oh, the terrorists. Yeah, and by that they mean the civilians. They promise they're doing their best to not kill because we know we're only fighting Hamas. Wink, wink. Let's get the terrorists out of the way so we can fight the terrorists, right? I mean, God, it's just so in your face, guys. The entire Gaza Strip should be empty, they say, and leveled flat, just like Auschwitz. Let it become a museum showcasing the capabilities of the state of Israel and dissuading anyone from living in the Gaza Strip that we swore they'd be able to go home to, even though we displaced them to that open-air prison a long time ago. This is what must be done to give them a visual representation. October 7th, they, well, I mean, that's, that's generally the main point. I mean, wow. I said, unbelievable. It's real, on the nose, exactly what's being said. And on top of that, this, Orwell sent me this, or the main website, is what they're planning. At the very least, it's the first indication of what I knew was going to happen. This is Lana Tautor. She was a assistant professors on, on settler colonialism and so on. It says a house on the beach is not a dream. An Israeli real estate company specializing in Jewish settlements in the West Bank is planning for the day after. This is beyond aspirational. Their staff is already working on plans for Gaza. This is a plan for the Gaza Strip for settlements for Israeli Jews. Only Israeli Jews, though. No, no Israeli anything else. Israeli Jews for these settlements. That's what this is. Earlier this week, a coalition of settler organizations generously funded by the state of Israel. So yes, a government organization plan held the practical preparation for Gaza Settlement Conference. 
I mean, do you realize how insulting it is that they're having open conferences about resettling Gaza while Biden lies to you about how that's not going to be the case, how the world continues to pretend like we're just going after Hamas? It should drive you crazy. It's obvious they're lying. They know they're lying. They know you know they're lying, and they just laugh at you. It says, we would be mistaken to dismiss these ideas as fringe, as those are the, uh, the political forces that managed to colonize and annex the West Bank. And again, guys, it's backed by, it's funded by the state of Israel. Here is the website itself. You can look at it. You can read about it. This, this is about settlements in the West Bank and, other, and elsewhere. But the one we're discussing here is the aspirational plans for the West Bank. Or, I mean, excuse me, for Gaza Strip. It was always the plan. It's not hard to see. They were cleansing this place of the people they never wanted there. And it's always been obvious. Here's the savior points out who are the real terrorists and goes over what they've been saying. And we've already shown you most of these. We're fighting human animals. We act accordingly. The only thing that should enter Gaza, as long as Hamas doesn't release the hostages it, it holds, is not a gram of humanitarian aid. And then they continue to bomb all of the hostages that are there and kill many of them already. That's Ben Gavir. Here is one of the generals saying Hamas animals must be treated as such. You wanted hell, you'll get hell. And they're talking about Palestinians. Here's Daniel Hagari, Mr. Propaganda Fail himself. The emphasis is on the damage and not accuracy. Openly telling you that. If the international media is objective and shows both sides, it serves Hamas, says Yanir Lapid. That's a real quote, guys. So if we're objective, you're helping them. Got it. The children of Gaza have brought this upon themselves. It's a real quote. That is a member of the Knesset, Ben Ari. The children of Gaza. So the 10,091 dead children, according to this member of the Israeli government, brought it upon themselves. Talk about victim blaming. It's not the true, it's, it's, uh, not the true, basically saying there's no one innocent in Gaza. That's the president of Israel. We will turn Gaza into a deserted island, says Netanyahu, but totally help all the civilians though, right? I'm very puzzled by this constant concern which the world is showing for the Palestinian people, former member of the ambassador to Israel. Well, just in case you missed it, here is the clip of the Israeli member of Knesset where she literally says, and the children of Gaza brought it upon themselves. I, can't, I just can't even believe that. We already played this clip for you. Here's Mondo Weiss just covering it. How can you make an argument about children bringing it upon themselves? These people are despicable. Now, that's not what, when I say this, by the way, I'm talking about the government. I don't believe every Israeli thinks that. I don't think every Jew thinks that. That'd be a dumb thing to think. Broad stroke. That's ignorance. Always was. The point, though, is the, these people saying these things. Every one of them in this image. These are maniac, these are maniacal, sociopathic, genocidal murderers. They are happy this is happening, and they're expressing that. Now, to wrap up in general, I want to make sure you saw this. I'm going to go over this in depth next, but I just want to say, don't forget, during the first, not the first, but the most recent, that doesn't even make sense either. There was one we just had, the one just before the most recent vote. It was vetoed by the United States. They had a veto. They were the only one that vetoed. UK abstained. But don't forget, one of the things they vetoed was the immediate and unconditional release of all hostages. 
which by the way, has been on the, on the table by Hamas since the first week that was even admitted to by Israel grudgingly. So the U.S. vetoed the release of all hostages, but that's what they're asking for. So when they publicly speak out, they go, Hamas has to give up and we have to, we want all the hostage back. And then when they offer that, they go, no, never, never, not going to happen. So what do they actually want? I just told you, this is what they want. That's what they want. They want the removal of these people acting like they're forlorn heroes going, we're trying to save everybody. They just won't let us while they bomb all the civilians. It's so disgusting. It keeps me up at night. They made sure you wouldn't, right? Okay, so now we have another vote. I showed you this on the 12th. They, I think it was resolution 377, I think. Either way, it, made, it forced another vote where there wouldn't be a veto, right? And I told you, they voted for a ceasefire, which Israel ignored. I said, the only question is, will they care? They don't. U.S. increasingly alone in Israel's support as 153 countries vote for ceasefire. 153, a total of 193, only 10 of them, including the U.S. and Israel and Australia, or Austria, voted against. And 23 abstained. Even Germany abstained. That's interesting. My point is only 10 countries voted no. So it passed. There's no veto. So they passed. There's, they, they, there's no mechanism they can force it with, though. It's just a just a resolution, but of course the U.S. the Israeli doesn't care. But it's important to see who voted for this, so you can check for yourself. Israel voted no. Guatemala, just so you can see what company they're in. Okay, here's who voted no: Austria, Chechnya, uh, Guatemala, Israel, Liberia, Micronesia, Papua New Guinea, Paraguay, and the United States. Right? All the bastions of freedom and democracy, right? Do you not realize where they've lined? They have aligned themselves with, I'm not saying every one of these countries are all bad. The point is, when we used to pretend this would be Britain and France and Germany and the United States and all the West democracies fighting for freedom against all the bad guys, look at what side they're racked almost always on at this point. It's very, very telling. And they voted no. So Israel voted no to a complete exchange of all hostages. If you're an Israeli, you should be, well, by the way, you're, you already are. I see you. I'm one of the few people in the West that can acknowledge what you're all fighting for over there, which is hostages coming home. And they're going, no, we're going to keep bombing. And they're murdering people in real time. You people as well. Israelis, Palestinians, everybody at the same time, apparently. Well, here's their resolution if you want to read more on it. But there was some points I was going to make in here, but just what the statements they were going to make. I will go over this more in, in the next show, I think, to talk about it. But desperately projecting, he says, there is no such thing as humanitarian ceasefire. Well, yeah, we know you think that, Israel. We get it. We know you don't care about humanitarian needs. But he, he simply said a ceasefire is a Hamas-saving ceasefire. Like, all it shows you is they're so desperate to achieve this in, at this moment that they ceasefire means everybody stops. If suddenly Hamas starts firing, they'll be able to fire again. It's the same stupid thing they always do anyway. They just don't want this to stop. And it says, nor do you care about the hostages. You mean the hostages that you're currently bombing? I mean, think about how insulting that is. I'll go back on this stuff later. They're literally calling the UN Hamas is the point there. And they're now calling the Red the Red Cross Hamas. Did you know that? Now, now the Red Cross is also Hamas, right? 
And this this entire Catholic church, probably going to be called Hamas, like he jokes, Ben Shapiro is probably going to call them all Hamas because they bombed the church. Breaking news, Human, Human Rights Watch, accused of being Hamas after exposing crimes. I'm kind of joking. The point is, Human Rights Watch, Israel, starvation used as a weapon of war. How much you want to bet? Suddenly, they're going to be called Hamas because they point out something inconvenient. But then let's not forget, Hamas was funded by Israel, which is the real point. And they've made sure they're not going to get a two-state solution. They're just not going to let it happen. Another article from New York Times comes out proving that they allowed the money to continue. The age the money was flowing into Hamas's hands, but nothing happened, even though the United States was aware. I'll go through all this again. These are some of the bad things I wanted to show you. In the title, we talked about this, and I'll go over this in another discussion. Israel demolishes cemeteries, confiscates dead bodies of Palestinians. My point was, well, we already talked about the secret, the open secret of organ theft, which they already did from the Al-Shifa hospital, as Euro Rights Monitor pointed out, or it's a Euromed Human Rights Monitor accused them of stealing organs and nobody cared. Now we've got allegations from this same group speaking to doctors on the ground that they not only killed people in this area, but literally buried alive civilians at the Kamal Adwan Hospital. I'm looking right now to see what my timing is tomorrow. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say it's my plan to do a show tomorrow. So I'll get into this right away because I knew I did. I mentioned this on the title and everything else. But where I'll see where I want to end here. There's a couple of things I want to point out. I just want to make sure we saw this. In case you didn't. We already know that everyone coming home from being kidnapped in Gaza is telling you that they were treated kindly for the most part. That was actually one of the words used, but not treated poorly. Now, they could be lying. I don't know why they would, but everyone's maintained that. Despite what the IDF says, they say every time they talk to somebody, even recently, they say the same thing. The point was they just killed three of their own people in Gaza. As you were, I report on the last show, it turns out even according to Israeli soldiers, though they were waving white flags. So all that really means as will points out is killing anything that moves guys. They don't care. And quite frankly, I'm of the mind that that means hostages too. Beth Selim points out that no matter what the rationale, the logic, the narrative it's against the law to kill people waving a white flag, period. And so they just broke the law, admitted to it. Even BBC, they were holding white cloths. That's the reality. And even Human Rights Watch points out it's not a new concept. 2009, white flag deaths, killing of Palestinian civilians during Operation Cast Lead. Lead. They don't care. It's constant. It's always the reality. More civilians being killed. I'm going to go over all this in a future show. I did want to just add a couple points here to finish. Netanyahu is now going to be talking about new hostage deals, even though 30 seconds ago they said they weren't because Hamas wasn't honest. I think the everything about what's happening right now is reactive. Their, their propaganda, what they're doing is simply reactive. And it's very obvious. So I'm going to end with this one clip. Hopefully you guys can tune in tomorrow. I will finish up on some of those other points. The main point for me today was the U.S. foreign policy overlap the and really the ongoing reality of what's going on on the ground here and understanding the ceasefire dynamic, which we'll go into more tomorrow. But just ending, Hamas re releasing more videos of the captives pleading for their release, openly saying that you're going to kill us. We're being bombed. We're being killed. People that have come home have said our biggest fear was what the bombings were, being, were doing by the IDF. 
We know that this is uh, Dr. Andres Craig pointing out the CIA Director Burns is meeting with Mossad head in Qatar right now in regard to more hostage release. The meeting in Qatar in the location of the offices of the the leaders of Hamas, and we're not supposed to think that's strange. Well, talking about what's going on over here. Why? Because they're funding and working with this entity to some degree about influencing and using them. And I'm talking about the leadership. There's a whole other conversation to talk about what the resistance is doing on the ground. The individual Palestinians are part of it. But I think there's a reason the leadership is in a different location. I think that to some degree they've lost control over what the outcome is. And I think they're clearly still funding the leaders, which was why they stand up and say statements that the Israeli government use every other day. Look, they said they're going to keep doing this forever because they hate Jews. Like, really? I mean, they've even changed their charter to make sure that it says what they are, which is they're fighting against the oppression of Zionism. Now, you can argue they're just smart enough to change that because they know that people will see it. But either way, you have to acknowledge they did change it. So why then would a leader stand up and say the opposite? Probably because they're still being influenced by the Israeli government. Just a thought. In any case, they're pretending to care about the hostages again as they're still bombing right now and killing those hostages. I'm going to end with this clip, which I think is interesting. First of all, huge protests against the Israeli government in Tel Aviv. This is two days ago. It's just, it's constant. They are demanding hostages be returned. And that's why we're seeing them give in again. I doubt it's going to happen. I doubt, I feel like they're going to find some kind of reason to stop because every single one of them that's come home has not only admitted that they were fired on by the IDF, but that they were almost killed in Gaza. Hannibal directed, guys. It's happening in real time. I mean, look, even though they told us they killed three of them, it's making up, they're, they're using it like they're trying to act like, well, we were just being honest. Now it's being used against us. Well, no, it seems more likely that those were people that you didn't want to talk about what came home with the stories with. And you now you're making it seem like you're using this to show that, look, we're being honest, which somehow proves that nothing else they said was true. Hardly. That's maybe, maybe, not, maybe not. Maybe there's just three honest IDF members that said there, some of them admitted it. Who knows? The reality is there is wildly, there's more than enough evidence that I've ever seen any topic to prove what they're doing is undeniable. And then you've got the international community, almost everybody, almost now including the United States, telling you that they're committing genocide, that they're killing civilians, that they don't care. They're doing so with their ethnic cleansing, that they're trying to occupy the territory. I mean, it just never stops. And this video, this is interesting. So I, I thought this was an interesting clip. So what this is, this is a guy, a Jewish guy who's walking away from these people holding up those, uh, those flyers, which have been so wildly politicized. Now ask yourself why it makes sense, first of all, for these flyers to be put in locations around the world that aren't in an area where they might see them and call and say, hey, I saw them. That's what a missing poster is supposed to do. So placing these posters out is, um, is about propaganda, Right. But it doesn't mean you should, t- I mean, you, it, you could tear down whatever you want. That's your right. My point is, I, 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 there's, I don't see a reason to do so, especially since some of the people putting them up probably think they're doing it for a good reason, even though it's obvious that it's manipulative, especially since some of the ones they're still putting up have already been proven to be killed by Israel bombings, including the Bebas family, by the way, which they're still putting up. But my point is, this guy, he responds. He says, my family fought Hitler. Not like you, Zionist cowards. And what he says about what they're doing, I find really revealing. Actually, I'll play it real quick and I'll give you my thoughts before we wrap up today. Oh, and and there's cussing for the people out there with their families. There's cussing, so heads up. 
Four guys in ghetto shit. My family fought Hitler, not like you Zionist coward. Oh, oh, I'm not full of shit. You are a racist. Children are being murdered. You stand here and opportunistically hand out flyers to people who would renounce you anyway. Uh, for, uh, for people who would renounce you anyway. So think about what he's saying here, right? So this guy clearly is, is at least in the know enough to realize that the people that they're, the ones on the flyer are coming home and saying, I'm afraid of my government. My government was trying to kill me when I was being kidnapped. And yes, they were kidnapped. And yes, that's a crime. And yes, that should be condemned. And, and that's terrifying. But weirdly enough, that's the part of the story that none of them seem to care about right now. That's not me. That's what they're talking about. They, I mean, I'm sure that statement there is going to cost me. The point is what they seem to be talking about in general and what they keep making the rounds about, talking in front of the Knesset, just speaking to people. They're saying, I was terrified of being killed by the IDF and it being framed as Hamas. That's a direct quote from one of these people that came back. The point is they're showing these flyers because it's about trying to convince people that it's all about, like it's a narrative control concept. And what he's saying is those people who might renounce you anyway, you're doing this for an opportunity. It's opportunistic. Easy, guys. You know it's easy, true. Easy. You're a fascist and a genocide monster. You don't believe that all life is equal. You hate democracy. You hate that in America we're all equal citizens. Go to hell. It's interesting. Right? It really is. It's an interesting, it's an interesting pushback because that's been one of the most contentious things. Then you get the people that are tearing down posters. And then it gets framed as these hate Jew hating maniacs, which again, that maybe, or maybe they just see it as a propaganda tool. And maybe they don't agree with why it's being done in a different country where it's not somewhere where they can have any effect on the outcome. You see what I'm saying? And it's just so, it's so disingenuous how much, how many, like the, the one, the focus I just did in the last show, which I was going to do a little more today, but I'll save for the next show, like where, you know, they're saying run river to the sea means genocide. Well, no, it doesn't. And, and then if you're going to make it out to be that, then it would mean the same in reverse. Because all it really means is that that means that if it's only Palestine, then therefore Israel doesn't exist. And then therefore that means that you're going to kill all Jews. Okay, if you want to make that leaping grasp, even though what most of them mean when they say that is some kind of a two-state solution discussion, but ultimately that Eli David will post an entire Israel flag over the area. Now, whether or not you think that's what's justified, it still means the absence of Palestine, the same thing in reverse. But that one's okay, right? Because it's hypocritical. It's a double standard, just like he's pointing out in that video. You double, you, you're, you're all hypocrites, right? If you're going to stand there and act like you care about civil human rights and, 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 and civilians, then you can't pretend like only one side in this conversation matters. And then you have to be honest about what the people who were there are actually saying. And the fact that if you care about any of it, you have to acknowledge that Netanyahu and the Israeli government funded and propped up the very entity that then blew back and hurt your own people. And then realize that the U.S. government and Israel have been radicalizing and funding the most extreme elements of this for decades for the same purpose in other countries. And then using that to justify shutting down other countries, stealing from other countries, and suppressing your freedoms. All for you, though, right? I mean, it's just all there for you. It's all in front of you. It's all clear. It's just about whether you care enough to acknowledge it. And if you have the courage enough to engage in this conversation when weak-minded people might shout that you're a racist without knowing anything about you, why would that even matter, quite frankly? But I hope you will continue to share the information. I'm going to continue to do my best to break this down for you. I'm going to do my best to get to a show tomorrow if you'd like to support this platform. 
You guys have been, it's, I'm, I'm blown away by the generosity of the people out there and the fact that this community continually surprises me. We, we have a lot of things, like I keep telling you, that we we're planning a lot of things in the works. And as I said, the more that we want to do, the more that that's going to cost, like, we, like we're dealing with. And by the way, I've seen a lot of great support in the fluoride trial we're fun that we're trying to fund for Derek. Like just, it's, it just, it, I, I'm one of the things that I'm most proud of is the community that we've built here more than anything else, because the people here, I mean, you guys know, you know, the community, the support, the, the compassion, the help that we have. And that the, it just, it, it inspires me every single day. And on that note in general, like I'm saying, if you'd like to continue to support this platform and build this out even more, first of all, continue to grow that community. Continue to make your side communities make, as I've said a bunch late, lately, make little groups around the country or in the, in the, around the world, make little groups, have tea lab parties or independent media parties and sit down and talk about it once a week, once a month and discuss and engage and debate amicably, especially if, I mean, hope you disagree. That is so important right now. And, and I mean, videotape it, send me a clip. I'll put it on the show. Right. Seriously, like get out there and make this stuff happen and make these conversations, get in the conversation and don't be forceful. Be, you know, for the most part, passive. You don't want to force things on people offer. You want to talk about this? We're here to discuss. And you can tell when people are the two party paradigm, they're a little bit resistant. They're not willing to hear out conversations that are perceived as one side or the other, but try. And then, of course, if you'd like to help us build this from the inside, there's plenty of ways to support us. There's lots of links down below for all sorts of ways to support this platform. The most important is sharing the work. Thank you for being here. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.